0: 843-661-0937 our number good morning Josh morning good morning Royal Rev of radio good morning today is obviously a day that will live in infamy Um, I was thinking about it riding over this morning it is the day that really and truly began the I mean the the the, would the United States have eventually involved itself with the second world war most historians say yes obviously having your country attack the Pacific fleet in Pearl Harbor was attacked uh, by the Japanese and that accelerated, I guess, the involvement of America into the second world war. And we've had, I don't know, Josh, uh, a handful of shows rev recently about the post second world war to world that we all um, live in. I think we're near the end of that. I mean, I think we're. I think there's other lines of um. um there, there are other things happening in America today that um. That will my kids, well maybe my my grandkids eventually will say, I grew up in a post something else world, not nine eleven. Yeah, post nine eleven world, post pandemic world, post. Yep. You know, Trump being president and realized <laughs> I don't know something else will define it, but it will it will it will never ever stop being a post-Second World War world, but there will be other influences that probably have as much to do with that as um, America involving itself in the Second World War. Uh, I, I thought about beginning the show, Josh, with playing the radio broadcast, you know, a day that will live in infamy. Um, it's kind of a... Uh, Revit I, I think, did a bit one day years ago the most important moments in radio's history. I mean, the, you know, the, the box on the wall, I mean the box on the floor that's turning the screen on the wall has dominated media discourse, but radio has always been unbelievably relevant. Um, and Rev and I kind of dug through, plundered around what are the most consequential moments in radio's history. And today in 1941 would have been one of those days. No question about it. Um, there are other moments in, uh, in history that was documented, uh, reported onto by, um, I guess, previous journalists, but it was, it was radio that led um, the way. So when I wrote over this morning, I was thinking about how many families sat around a radio December 7, 1941. I mean, we didn't have 24-7 news. This is before Ted Turner came up with the crazy idea that Americans may have an appetite for news 24-7 <laughs>
1: I mean, really, radio then was the primary means of communication or at least getting the message out to, to the masses, you know, broadcast, if you will.
0: Let me ask you this. Is America a better place or not with 24-7 news? <laughs> I think it's okay with
1: 24-7 news. Now, if you ask the same question about, you know, the current social media construct,
0: <laughs> I don't know, but with 24-7 news? You think it's better? You, you think? We are a better nation since the the concept of twenty four seven news coverage. Yeah, I I would.
1: It's funny because if, if if I think about it, I think back to the the good old days of twenty four seven news. All right, when it was actually news, not now it's opinion and conflict and and. Yeah, that sort of back and but forth, I mean, it, but 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 if you think back to the early days, as you mentioned, of twenty four seven news and CNN, you had the the long form news channel, you had the headline news channel. I think that was that was probably pretty good.
0: Okay, but it what evolved, it's evolved into, what? into? Well, I mean, and that's I guess that's where, where I'm headed. We, so so if twenty four seven news in the in the beginning was was genuine, it was journalistic, it was trying to inform the masses of whatever situation is happening around the world. I'm thinking of CNN. You know, cable news network, I mean, Ted Turner came up with the idea of, um, you know, delivering the news 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether there's news happening or not, you know, and, uh, the next thing you know, it, it evolves into this nonstop, uh, just nonsense. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really and truly is. And I was just thinking about riding over this morning, um, sitting beside a radio, December 7, 1941 listening with bated ears about, okay, what did the president just say? What is our intent? What are we going to do? You have to wait until the next morning. To, I mean, didn't there a little beauty in that? I mean, isn't there a little beauty in scarcity? Yeah. and I, and I guess. But, let me, let but, me, but, what,
1: but I mean, don't you think the people in 1942, if they had the ability to turn on you know, CNN, for example, and, oh, you know, this is this is monumental, this is big, and I, re- I really need to know as much about this as I can. Um to be able to see it, wouldn't that have been maybe better for the, for the citizens? I,
0: I don't know. Yeah. I mean, something tells me no. Hmm. I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't profess to, to know. I'm not a liberal. I don't know everything. I mean, I'm a, one of these dumb old conservatives that do the best <laughs> I can to muddle through And, and I don't know either. I mean, I'm just
1: contemplating your question there, which is pretty interesting.
0: Well, I mean, I, I'm just saying, very often I try to think about conservative talk radio. Have we contributed to the positive a trajectory of America or yes, the negative of course trajectory no. of America? Of course mean, but it's got to be considered. <laughs> I mean, we are a divisive force in America, right? I mean, we, we are v- very opinionated. We have vigorous debate. We offer opportunities for people to express their themselves and their opinions, no matter what they believe. Um, I don't know. Something tells me that we may be a, a better nation not ever having access to 24 hours a day, seven days a week
2: news i kind of i kind of agree have y'all ever been to raising canes y'all know that place
0: i've heard Heard of of it it. never been there it's
2: a chicken fast food restaurant and i heard about it too and i actually finally got to go one day they only have three options on the menu which i had never experienced this before but there was like this wash of relief because it was (laughs) like oh like here's this restaurant everyone talks about i got to look at this whole menu and think about what i want what is probably the best deal just having like, do you want a two piece chicken meal, a four piece chicken meal, or six piece chicken meal was like, thank God. Like less I less pressure, you know, huh? I there is a part of me that's like I would rather have two really good options as opposed to a thousand average ones.
0: Information overload. Exactly. I mean the, the, the sensories, the 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 human the, the human's ability to retain and dissect information is limited. I mean, it really and truly is. So when you're getting inundated with this story and that story and another story and and another story, you've you, you've had information made accessible to you that that is probably to Ray's point beneficial. I mean, it's probably better to be to know more. I mean, of the 330 million people to call themselves Americans, I mean, if Josh Rev and and Ken know more about the nation and what's happening in the nation. But that's got to be beneficial.
1: <laughs> I, mean, I mean, don't we talk about low-information voters and how you've you've said before that you know the more people that are engaged and know that the better well, the better run country will likely have because we'll elect better people. So, and- so
0: what, what is the, is low-information voters better than wrong-information voters? <laughs> that's a great question. Because I mean, you know this. We run to our corners. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yep. we wonder we run to our safe spaces. What if we didn't have those safe spaces? What if conservatives didn't have well, too talk bad, radio and too, Fox News? Too
1: bad we need a safe space that it's evolved into but that. But didn't and that have
0: a hand in creating that need?
1: Yeah, but I mean that's why I think when when you pose that question, I I went back to you know the beginning of CNN because it it wasn't like that. You know it was a, it was a new medium. Why it,
0: wasn't it like that then?
1: Yeah, well, they just hadn't figured out a way that that would make money. I guess. Yeah, that there, point. there you
0: go. They, they figured out a way to monetize mm-hmm. the disseminating of information. Got boring. Okay, we're accurate. I mean, or, we're going to or it, was, it was
1: only popular when something big was going on. If you had an international, I mean, probably the biggest thing that we all remember was the original Gulf War. Yeah. Uh, and that's when CNN was kind of on the front lines. That's the first time we'd ever vi- seen the that. The
0: visual of Baghdad is forever. Right. I mean, it just it's burned into my mind. I mean, yep. I can see now the, the Scud missile Bernard Shaw the... hiding in a hotel right. somewhere. We all can. I mean, that that was news. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. And it left, I mean, that, that would be, I mean, I guess that CNN's high watermark, right? I mean, the coverage of the war in Baghdad, the coverage of what was it, Desert Storm, Desert Shield to begin with, and then eventually turned into Desert Storm. Uh, That would have been, and you're right. I mean, there was a, I don't remember thinking to myself listening or watching CNN that they're up to something. I mean, you know, I I just thought, okay, they're doing the best they can to deliver us news, but I think it morphed into something that has been, and that goes to my question. Would we be better off today if 24 7 news? Had never been thought about. Had never been invented. Had never been become you know uh, profitable. And uh, you know Andy Griffith comes on, and then Seinfeld comes on, and then you know something else comes on. I'll tell you this. I find myself, but this is kind of interesting to me. I find myself watching Andy Griffith and Seinfeld more than ever. <laughs> I get that. It goes to Josh's point. Wow. I mean, I'm just tired of that. I'm 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 worn out by that. Um, I'll share something with our audience, and then we'll take a call. I'm right now, today, this morning at 617 on Thursday morning, I'm tired of this job.
1: <laughs> Good to know. I and
0: mean, I hardly ever get tired of this job because it's, um, it's never the same. I mean, it's always different callers and different topics and different storylines and, and different subjects. And I think I confided in you a week or so ago, I'm ready for this week off. I mean, I'm just ready when Christmas gets here to get away from it for a damn week and not listen and, and argue and, and complain and, and find stories that, you know, convince Americans to be negative about our country and its future. Um, but that's the business we're in. I mean, that, that is the bit. And, and what if we had never had that? You're right. The nation would be full of low-information voters, but would the information they get be more accurate, and could they formulate better opinions and judgments about what they believe, who needs to be the president, Um, I don't know, just, I mean, I don't have the answer to that. It's just a, something running around in my head first (laughs) thing this morning.
1: Hey, Josh. So I guess I need to say this because you talked about raising canes and the three menu items when I was growing up, Josh. All right. We had three TV channels. That's all. They were over the air broadcast TVs. You had CBS, NBC, and ABC, right? And those were the three. And let me tell you this, to change the channel on the TV, you actually had to get up from your chair, walk across the room and switch the channel and maybe sometimes turn the thing that moved the antenna on the top of your house so it would point toward the other station's transmitter.
0: And we found some happiness some yeah. way somehow.
1: Much simpler. To your point. Is yeah. that
2: I back when you had to stick your feet under the car and run with it? to <laughs> maybe? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been prior me, me to that. And me and Fred Flintstone. That's <laughs> that
0: would have right. been our
2: grandfather. Y'all are probably
0: surprised <laughs> I even know what that is. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised you know what that is. Let's oh, go yeah. to the home. Someone's there.
1: Flintstone's the best. Uh, Verd, Odom, Marlborough County. Hey, Verd
3: good morning ken uh take care of that voice today so you'll be ready to go in the morning uh they uh you know uh, i guess we uh, we should all pay tribute to the people at uh the, the people at uh pearl harbor and uh i heard sam elliot say one time when he gave a uh when he gave a award to a, a former Medal of honor winner he said everybody that stepped off those boats for that day in normandy they were all heroes and i think the heroes started at pearl harbor and we should all pay tribute to everything. You know, we have a world today because of uh, where it all started at in Pearl Harbor. Uh, looking forward to this weekend, Ken. It's uh, going to be a great weekend, a lot of great speakers. And uh, I just think, uh, you know, it's going to get started uh 2024. We're going to uh, knock it in the head starting this weekend.
0: Thank you, Vern. Appreciate that. It really began. I mean, I was thinking about the. we'll leave late this afternoon. I don't know what time Rev's leaving. I'm leaving late, late this afternoon. The head of the beach will be at the Hilton. Uh, and we'll be on site for a... It's uh, called the Fitzrack. Yeah, it's the South Carolina equivalent of CPAC.
1: Yeah, first it's, in the South Republican Action Conference.
0: And we'll have some interesting guests, we think. Um, some are making their way into Ori County on Saturday, so they won't be made available to us. But, um, yeah, we're going uh, boots on the ground, so to speak, to get you know where the action is and kind of report on what's happening uh, with the Republican Party today. I'll come back after the break and kind of um, go back over the debate that we um, some of you saw last night. Many of you probably didn't. I will say this at first glance. you ready? Somebody needs to give Megan Kelly a cheeseburger. Oh yeah. I mean that, That's my first take. Somebody needs to give Megan Kelly <laughs> really a cheeseburger. I understand the nature of her business. I understand the optics are important in her business. The visuals are important in, their, uh, in, in her business, but somebody needs to give Megan Kelly uh, Megan Kelly. Maybe even a, um, a double cheeseburger. <laughs> 843-661-0937. Hang on, caller. We'll take a break. We'll be back on the other side. 843-661-0937. Somebody's on the phone. Let's go there. Bobby in Hartsville. Good morning, Bobby. Good
3: morning, guys. i got two things. Number one, I'm not saying it's a good idea or a bad idea. just something I heard on the radio. Uh, people are going to start putting blue and white ribbons out in support of Israel, uh, putting on trees, things in their yard or whatever. I think that's the colors of their flag. So I just wanted to throw that out. Um, the second thing, what do you think, if Nikki Haley is chosen, if Trump, you know, gets the nomination and he chooses her as his running mate, do you think the Never Trumpers or some of those on the left that is throwing money in her campaign? Do you think they would tolerate Trump for four years in order to have Nikki for eight years, I'd be interested in your opinion on that. Thank you, Bobby. I think
0: Nikki declared her path about uh, a month ago. I think Nikki tried, and I and I made this accusation. I think Nikki was the the candidate that tried to have a foot in each camp, and she realized you can't do that in the long run. You just can't. You got to declare your path. I'm not saying you hate Trumpers and you don't hate never. I mean, you. you I understand that politics is about addition but Nikki made a decision. I don't have any idea why she made this decision. I don't talk to Nikki, but but she decided to be the choice of the establishment. Uh, but that was her way to be more more, more important in this primary process, more of a, a player in the primary process, but there's no future for Nikki Haley in the GOP. I mean I'm convinced that there is no future. I'll say that as emphatically as I can. There is no future for Nikki Haley in the GOP, Nikki apparently is playing another game, and that is to gain favor with powerful people who can make uh, certain opportunities create certain opportunities for her. the 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 question Bobby's asking is very fundamental, and I think DeSantis making a compelling argument. Um, if somebody hired me to run DeSantis's campaign or Nikki's campaign or Vivek Ramaswamy, whomever else is left in the in the Republican primary, the only compelling argument to make today is why vote for someone who can only serve four years? I mean, if we're going to, to, to sustain a revolution and if we're going to disrupt, you know, the natural order, or excuse me, the, um, the normal order of politics, then why do we elect a guy who's in his late 70s who is term-limited and can't run again? I mean, that, to me, that's the compelling argument. That makes me scratch my head a little bit and go, okay, give me a better alternative and I'll reconsider. But up until now, nobody's given me a, a better alternative. I mean, there have been a lot of people tried. Tim Scott had his moment. Um, Ramaswamy's had his moment. DeSantis had his moment. It looks to me like Nikki had her moment. Had means past tense. Um, I mean, she failed last night. I mean, she really and truly did. Um, I mean, I watched the majority of debate last night, and Nikki floundered. I mean, she just did not look like the, the person that is surging in the polls and has a chance kind of to put an exclamation part, point behind um, that surging. I believe that Donald Trump is going to surprise us with a VP pick. I mean, I, I really do. I think it's somebody like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of. I think it's got to be a female, um, somebody like Carly Fiorina. I mean, I'm not saying Fior- Fiorina because we know of her now, but somebody like the former chairman, uh, excuse me, the former CEO at Hewlett Packard a business-minded, very shrewd, smart, competent uh, person, doesn't bring a lot of political baggage to the table with them. Um, but but I think, I, I, I just don't think Nikki has America First in her bones. I, I just don't think she believes fundamentally in, in America First. I'm going to be critical for a second, guys, and I think I know enough to say this. I don't have a clue what Nikki believes in. I mean, I really don't. The two governors that I've had, I have three governors that I've had personal friendships with that if I called and left a message, they'd call me back is David Beasley. And that goes back. I mean, that's outside of politics. That's being from the same neck of the woods and doing some business together and supporting David when he ran against Jim DeMint for Senate. I mean, David and I have a friendship. I mean, I'm not dropping names. I'm just saying David and I have a friendship. Um, Mark Sanford and I have a friendship. Um, when I was dealing in all my political turmoil, Mark checked on me. Pretty, pretty regularly because he understood how you feel when you're a political crap storm. He had lived one of those. Um, both made it our own mess. We had to figure out a way to deal with it in our own uh, way. Um, the other is Nikki. And I ran with Nikki in 2010. I mean, I, I got to know Nikki pretty well during that period of time. I mean, everywhere I am, she's there. Everywhere she is, I'm there. Begging for votes. Convincing donors that you need to be on my team So I know, and I think I can give a summation of what those three people believe, except one. Except one. I don't have any idea what Nikki believes. I don't know what she stands for. Love Mark, hate Mark. Mark is a libertarian. I mean, there's a core there. There's some fundamental belief he has about government. Is he a pain in the butt? Yeah. Can he be difficult? Yeah. Is he an oddball at times? Yeah. All those things. But I don't think anybody can look at Mark Sanford and say he doesn't believe in anything. I mean, we all act upon political expediency. That's the name of the game. I did it. I mean, I'd like to believe I did it less than most, but I did it. I mean, I said certain things certain ways because I knew the voters liked those things said and said that way. I mean, you're a moron to run for office and not pay attention to what the voters want to hear and how they want to hear it. But, but the, the the place you find yourself very often is... Saying things that you fundamentally don't believe in. Kahaley and I had a lot of conversations about, I mean, mean, I'm a good old boy, so I'll say it this way. Robert would tell me, hey, we need to talk about this. And I said, okay, here's what I want to say about that. And Robert said, you can't say it that way. You got to say it this way. I'm not saying it that way, Robert. Why? Because I don't believe that. I'm not saying it that way. I don't believe that. I'll say it this way because I have some belief in that. But but I'm not saying it that way. I, I don't know what Nikki won't say. And, and I think fundamentally that will be her demise. People will eventually, if they look long enough, it's a little bit like walking past a storefront and you see a, I'm talking about a, uh, let, let's tell you, say a dress. I mean, a woman sees a dress. She's walking past the storefront. She looks and sees the dress. Mm, okay, I like that dress. She stops to look closer and says, I don't like it as much as I thought I did. I'm mean, the neckline, the sleeves, the, the color, whatever. It's not exactly what I thought it was. And I've always felt that's going to be Nikki's problem. As long as you're walking past the storefront and taking a passing glance, kind of like what I see. Okay, there, there's, some, there's some political future there. But then when you stop and you begin to pay closer attention, what color is it? I don't know. Um, is it, a, is it an over the shoulder off the, I don't know. I just think with Mark, you kind of know what you're getting. And, and I, you know, David, I mean, David and I don't talk a lot of politics because he was a governor years and years and years ago. Mark is a recent governor. Nikki is a recent governor. If I sat down with Mark for 30 minutes and we discuss politics, we would agree more than we disagree, but we would disagree. But when I left the Starbucks 30 minutes with Mark Sanford, I wouldn't have much doubt as to whether he believed what he was saying or not. I may disagree with it, but 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 he he fundamentally he has a he is a sinner. He has something that he hangs his hat on. I don't know what Nikki, and maybe I'm misinterpreting here. Maybe it's my you know not not giving her the benefit of the doubt as much as she deserves. I don't know. I don't have any idea. But I think voters feel that way about Haley. I think governor. Excuse me. I think voters. Or questioning, does Nikki really believe this or does she believe that? And if governors don't, excuse me, if voters don't believe you're sincere, you're done. I mean, you're done. And you don't get that back. Once once voters believe that a politician is somewhat of a fraud, eh, you don't ever get that back. They'll put up with making mistakes. They'll put up with disagreements as long as they believe you're authentic. And I think what Nikki's tried to do by wanting a foot in each camp for as long as She tried to have a foot in each camp. And I think I understand. I mean, it was politically lucrative to have a foot in America First camp. It was financially lucrative to have a foot in the establishment's camp. I mean, there's not a big donor base in America First. There's not a lot of corporate influences in America First. Ain't a lot of lobbying jobs going to MAGA Republicans. Not a lot of board seats available to America First supporters. I mean, that's just the way it is. So Nikki tried to preserve her political interest by saying, I'm America first. But, but she was also dabbling in the establishment lane because it was unbelievably lucrative and she was kind of, sort of, the flavor of the day. She took advantage of that. I don't begrudge her for taking advantage of that. I just think there's a hell of a political price to pay and she will eventually pay that political price. Why is she only 16 or 17 percent? Why is she 25 points down in her home state? Let me think of that. A recent governor running for president is roughly 25 percentage points behind in her home state. Take a break. Back in a few. 843 is our number. We'll play some excerpts from the debate last night as I feel, I mean, I don't know that there was a clear winner and loser. You're, 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 you're basically auditioning to be a bridesmaid. I mean, you know, it looks to yeah. me like the GOP is <laughs> who's chosen, number two. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's a um. I mean, who wants to be in a race for number two? But it does seem to me that we solidified the Republican primary. And uh, uh, said, "Be careful about inevitable, you know, inevitability." But it looks to me like that we are um we're a long ways down the road of already determining who our who our eventual nominee will be.
1: I thought it was kind of. Funny that uh, Megyn Kelly pointed out to Chris Christie, hey, you're so, you're attacking Trump here. You're so far behind. You know, why are you even wasting your time, kind of thing? So put him on the spot. Ask him a question. Hey, I want to ask you something. You were talking about former governors and governors that you know and could call and would call you back. All right. Uh, you mentioned uh, Samford, you mentioned Beasley, and you uh, mentioned Nikki Haley. Um, you didn't mention Henry
0: McMaster. Nikki, Nikki may not call me back after that last <laughs> <say>, but, segment. But, <laughs> well, maybe not. But prior to that, I think she would <laughs> plus, have. Well, yeah, plus, she's kind of busy these uh, days. She I mean, is. you got to give her that. She is, and God bless her. I mean, I wish yeah. her well.
1: Um, but but you, you didn't mention Henry McMaster, who, you know, he's been in South Carolina government
0: forever. <laughs> and he was there when you were there, obviously. Henry's old school. Let me tell you something about Henry. You ready? Henry's old school in that he's got a book that says he was for or against. And I declared my political fate and relationship with Henry McMaster the day I endorsed Catherine Templeton as governor, and, and oh. kind of worked for a little bit. And Henry knew that, and he's never forgiven me for that. And you that's went fine. you went to the
1: against side. Well,
0: I mean, like I said, Henry's old school. There's a book somewhere that they have who was for. There's another book who was against. And once you get in that book, uh, he was against or she was against, you, you fall in bad graces. With the, uh, with the McMaster camp. So that's just, and <laughs> I, I get you. it. Uh, and I understand it. I've talked to Henry, I think, once since he got elected um, governor. And, I mean, it, it was fine. I mean, it was good. And Henry's had a, a will conclude win next year, year after, uh, 2026. Ten years of being governor. Uh, finished Nikki's term. Yeah. I think that's a place to attack Nikki. I mean, I think that's one place that we've not seen as much of the the, the attack angle would be the lady never finishes the job. But the people of Lexington County elected her to be a House member, and then she goes off and runs for governor. The people of South Carolina elected her a second-term governorship. She runs off to be um U.N. ambassador. Trump points her to U.N. ambassador. She leaves there before the term's out to go be on the Boeing board. She's on the Boeing board before her term ex- uh, expires. She leaves the Boeing board and starts a, um, from what I'm told, a medical contracting business and decides to run for, for the presidency. Now, I understand the next rung on the ladder. I mean, I'm not naive to that. I certainly understand um, some of that. But I just don't think, <coughs> excuse me, I think Nikki was in second place last night. I mean, I think she is, I mean, if, I, if you believe the math, she is the only candidate aside of Trump that is, and it's not a surge, she's increasing her percentage of Republican primary voters, but she's doing it minimally, while everybody else is pretty much standing still. I mean, DeSantis is declining. We said earlier, um, to me, the DeSantis fate has been sealed. I mean, how do you go from, let, let's hop with that. How do you go from 29% of the poll to 17%? You spend $150 million. I mean, how do you spend $150 million, go from about 30% to about 17% unless you're just a bad candidate or running a bad campaign? I mean, is timing getting that bad. I mean, I understand timing at times, and your messaging is not cutting through. I think DeSantis is just not a good candidate. He looks weird on the stage. His presence has a weirdness about it. It almost makes you a little bit uncomfortable. These facial expressions, these kind of body gyrations. I mean, it's like he doesn't want to really be there. I mean, I'd rather be behind a desk somewhere doing a job. He's that guy. But I think he's somewhat of a technocrat. He's more comfortable.
1: Well, I think a good example of that is when he called into the show a couple of weeks ago. I mean, we came after that interview. We both said, and I think people gave us some feedback after the the interview as well, said, man, he did a great job on that interview. He's not, you know, you're not seeing him.
0: He just looks unbelievably awkward.
1: There's no optic there when he's on the phone and he's talking about the issues.
0: But, I mean, you sense what I sense. Sure, of course. He appears to be uncomfortable. He appears to be awkward, and it makes other people uncomfortable. And that's a big deal, guys. I mean, that's my wife last night. First thing she says, who did Nikki's makeup? Hmm, okay. I mean, I'm just saying, things like that shouldn't matter, but they do. They matter enormously. Who did her makeup? I mean, there, there's an optic television. I mean, the Kennedy-Nixon debate. I mean, we've heard right. that story over and over and over again. The people that listen to that debate on the radio believe Nixon won. Yep. The people that watch it on television believe that Kennedy won. There's a, there's a visual effect that matters tremendously. And, and DeSantis looks awkward when he's on television. He just looks like, I, I don't really want to be here. Um, I'm going to try real hard to not make these weird facial expressions. In fact, I'm going to make a weird facial expression to make sure I don't make <laughs> weird facial expressions. It's a um, And it's almost like he's, he's aware of it now. And he's going overboard to try and appear to be comfortable in front of a camera, and he's just, that's not his forte. And you can't win the presidency unless you're good on TV. You can't unless you hide in the basement and let ballots be harvested. (laughs) I mean, there is a, maybe i I, offer that exclusion. You can win the presidency if you're demented and not good on television, if you've got an army of workers making sure votes turn out as you need them to turn out in certain Democratic strongholds all over America. Let's go to the phone.
4: Michael in Johnsonville. Good morning. Good morning, Ken. How are you doing? Good, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Let me ask you. This is kind of a two-part question here. Um, Number one, do you think Nikki's numbers are kind of surging because of people drop, you know, dropping out? Um, And number two, um, how much of a role if Nikki is the the golden child to run up against uh, Trump? How much of um, a VP pick do you think is going to be? That's going to could it, basically, could it play into the numbers where it would bring her and Trump closer together, or do you think uh, with the right pick? Because I I'm, I'm, I don't know if this is true or not, but I've been hearing kind of some rumors uh, that maybe Ben Carson and Trump um, as a ticket, that's that's not saying that that's any truth to that, but uh, that was kind of floating around. Um, but do you think it would bring the numbers closer together by a VP pick or, or what? Thank you, Michael. Appreciate that.
0: Well, I mean, to address the first point, Nikki's numbers aren't surging. That's a media misnomer. I mean, Nikki's numbers have increased. Tim gets out. Um, Another candidate gets out. Those voters go somewhere. And the majority goes somewhere other than Trump. The only way Trump's numbers increase by a large amount is if DeSantis gets out. I mean, I've seen polling. Trump gets about half of the DeSantis voters, maybe a little north of half. I think the DeSantis voters have given an opportunity to pick Trump or Haley. They pick Trump by a two-to-one margin. I think Nikki's ceiling in a Trump-Nikki-Haley head-to-head. DeSantis gets out. Let's say DeSantis loses Iowa. Let's say Christie gets out in New Hampshire. I mean, those two campaigns are putting a lot of their fortunes in those two states. Um, And it becomes a a, a two-person race. I think it's 65-35. Now, if Nikki had not, I don't say sold or sold. I mean, if Nikki hadn't so become an establishment candidate, it may have been 60 40. But, but I think the reflection of America First in the Republican Party, I've said two or three voters, I mean, 65, 66 are right there in the same sphere. I still believe on the VP pick, Trump's going to surprise us. A, a female Tucker Carlson. Who is that? I don't know. I mean, there's somebody out there that we're not thinking about. And I think Trump, Trump is not going to pick Nikki Haley. I mean, there's no, I mean, if somebody went to Donald Trump and said, hey, she is polling shows, she's the best choice. I think Trump would say, who's the second best choice? Mm. Because I'm not picking her. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number Someone's on the phone. Let's go there.
1: Breeze, good morning. You're on.
3: You know, kid, um, what we were talking about this morning just tells you why we're such a, this country country is in such a crap storm. I mean, we can't have Carrie Lake because she's too pretty. You can't have uh, DeSantis because he looks like a a weirdo on TV. We can't, you you know what I mean? There's nothing about whether or not to have any, qualifications or whether or not they'll do a good job. I mean, if you think about it, the last person that 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 communist saw Obama wanted to run with him was Biden, but it was a political decision to get that idiot on the the ticket because they thought he'd get some votes in that area of the country or whatever. So none of this is about, again, none of this is what's best for you and I or what's best for the country. It's just like, you know, so who is Trump going to get? Is he going to get somebody that you and I won't, that's going to that gonna keep America first going in the right direction? Or is he just going to get some for to get the women's vote, or to get this vote, or to get the black vote, or, or to get the, you know, the never Trump, whatever the heck it may be? I mean, you know, I mean, where the hell is the most qualified at? I mean, you know, and I'll tell you what I would— be curious if you you and Dave tomorrow just between yourself. Everybody that you meet at that thing tomorrow, do your little do your little uh, your little spider tingly and see which one any of those guys out of that crowd is worth a crap. I mean somebody that you felt like you could count on to be a decent person, not just because you're a big time radio personality, and they don't want you putting them down on the radio, or they may want to be old. But say, you know what? I think that guy or that gal is out there is out here for the right reasons, or at the very least, is competent and not a sellout.
0: Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate that. So, so let's take that, Josh. I need you now. You're you're the young guy. You give a kind of an altered opinion. Rev and I grew up on the Eagles. You grew up on whatever that nonsense is. You grew up <laughs> on. Um, that that, that devil worshiping music that you're generating. What did you grow up on, yeah, Josh? Yeah, what what what, 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 what relevant band would we know of that was uh, uh, an important part of your iTunes or or, or 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 playlist?
2: Miley Cyrus. Okay.
0: I get it. I mean, I get also it. the
2: Eagles. Okay. Also the Eagles. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good.
0: Our music. I mean, that, yep. my kids have iTunes accounts and on theirs it's all our music. So so let's take what Bree said. I'm going to say one of the most arrogant things I could say. We had yesterday kind of a um an hour and a half long discussion about God and humility and the universe and you know atheism and uh, you know religion. Anyway, it was a complicated free for all. When it comes to my place in the universe, I think I'm humble. I mean I really I think that I understand that I am such a minor spoke in this big old wheel called the world and all of God's work and all of God's um, plans. I'll accept that, and that requires a little bit of humility, but not much. I mean, he's God in heaven, and I'm not. I mean, if if we can't get there, then wow. But, But I am arrogant about this. One thing in particular I'm extremely arrogant about and can get in my own way. I believe that I understand why Donald Trump got elected better than he does. Hmm. I think I understand the things that Donald Trump could do to gain favor with the American people and promote an agenda that could dominate American politics for the next generation. I am, I am confident in that. I mean, I know that's arrogant, and I'm not in office, and I've got a radio show, and I don't have to vote on anything, and I'm not running, and I don't have consultants and polls and all these other—I have the luxury of not being held accountable— if my name were on a sign and on the ballot. I mean, I've got to operate and, and fashion my message in a very different, different way. But I believe with every fiber of my being that I understand America First better than Trump does. And I could coach him into the things to say and do, not say and do, prioritize, not prioritize, consider this person for a VP, not consider this other person for a VP. And the reason I think I understand it, I lived it. I mean, I've lived America first. I've watched a town that I grew up in offer ample opportunity and then not. And I know, I mean, when I was 25 years old and the plants closed and the jobs went away, I didn't understand NAFTA. I mean, I didn't understand GATT. I mean, that wouldn't happen. TPP, I didn't understand trade policy. I knew nothing about protectionism or tariffs or any of that. But but I know that my community, and, and it happened all over the country, I mean, my, my town was a, an, an example of something that happened all over America, and, and we saw a, a working class get decimated, and it was policy. It was trade deals. It was gaining favor with transnational organizations and, and, and trade partners, and it was getting in bed with China and legitimizing China as a member of the World Trade Organization. I mean, when, I, when I'm driving down the street, and half the stores are closed, and the plant that had 2,000 employees and the plant that had 1,000 employees are gone. I mean, I, I don't think America first. I mean, I, I don't think trade policy. But, but in, in re, as, I, as I try to review, okay, I remember the day that this company had 1,000 employees, and then I remember the day they didn't. So, so I've gone back and, and chronologically kind of recreated, and it's obvious to me what happened. I mean our government sold our our working class out in the name of profitability and gaining political favor and transnational organizations and all these things. So so how can we restore a certain sense of hope in our working class? I mean that to me that's what America First is. I've told you guys the bumper sticker is I'm going to advocate for policies that advance the prosperity of the American worker the American family, and the American way of life. And and when, when I interviewed somebody to run transportation or education or commerce or whatever, Secretary of State, I'd want to know in great specificity where they stand in regards to that. Do you support policies that bring jobs back home? Do you support policies that empower the working class? First of all, do you agree that Washington turned a cold shoulder to the American working class. I understand why they did it. Corporations knew they could make more money exploiting child labor. And the government was complicit in that. I mean, when, when, you, when you, in 2001, when America basically said to China, we give you favored nation status and you are allowed, and, and people could say, well, the USA didn't do that alone. Yes, we did. I mean, in the World Trade Organization, if America says no, you know what the answer is? No. If America says yes, you know what the answer is? Yes. And that was kind of the cherry on top. So, so my point is, as I look for people to administer America first, post-Trump, I mean, I think Trump is the 800 pounds obviously. He's the blunt instrument. He's necessary right now to get our foot in the door. But once we get our foot in the door, to raise this point, who builds this machine I mean, we'll accept that the liberals have built a machine. They dominate the media. They dominate academia. We'll agree the establishment has built a machine. They dominate inside baseball. We're on the outside looking in. And how do we infiltrate? How do we, how do we gain power? And I think J.D. Vance is one guy that says things, that I'm going, hmm, okay, I, I get that. I mean, remember, Vance, it's not, it's not making government smaller. That horse has left the, uh, the station. That train has left the barn. <laughs> It's what do we do when we gain control of the levers of government. And I want to see members of a political party who take seriously empowering the American worker, empowering the American family, empowering the American way of life. Take a break. Back in a few. Debates have become soundbite extravaganzas. We'll get to some of the soundbites in just a bit. It got pretty aggressive uh, last night. Four candidates for the same voters um and it's, it's kind of interesting uh and i said yesterday and i'll stick to this i think a good analogy is it's like going to a bruce springsteen of the east street band concert and bruce doesn't show up <laughs> and you're watching the east street band right. play well i mean the front runner is not at any of these debates and it you know it's kind of a battle for for second place great televisions senior national editor wilds correspondent john decker is with us john good morning how are you
5: Hey, I'm doing great, Ken. Hope you're doing well today.
0: What did we make of the E Street Band concert last night? Called the, um, <laughs> the GOP debate without without Springsteen there. To
5: score some points, they're looking
0: to be the the sole second place. I think we're uh-huh. losing. Yeah, yet. before
1: we went on the air, uh, John told Josh that he's on the Amtrak. He's on the train, so yeah. we have a spotty signal. John, are you still there?
5: continue
1: on you
0: know they're
1: stuck in the single business yeah we kind of lost you there hey, John, John, we, know, John, we, we know you're on the train
0: we, we know you're on the train and we lost you there for a while are you back yet or not
5: i am back i absolutely can yes yeah I'm and we knew
0: back. we knew you're on the train we gave our listeners fair warning that it may be a spotty a spotty <laughs> signal i don't want to ask you to recount everything you just said but recount everything you just said if you don't mind <laughs> <laughs> well it's a good opportunity
6: for Nikki Ellie
0: points
5: to try to end up you know, being the sole second place individual taking on Donald Trump head on. Uh, you know, I don't know if uh, they, they scored enough points to do just that. You know, these debates have really not changed anything you know, in terms of the order of this race. Donald Trump remains the clear frontrunner for the Republican nomination,
0: uh, even after uh, now the fourth debate that took place last night. John, a a Republican is calling it quits. Kevin McCarthy has gone from speaker to member to now announcing that he's not running for re-election. What are we to make of that? Not surprising
5: to me. It's so difficult, Ken. You know, you've been in politics. It's so difficult to go from holding the position of Speaker of the House to just being a rank-and-file member of Congress. That's something that Kevin McCarthy worked for his entire life. Uh, and now he's just a regular member representing Baker Steel, California, and uh, I think that's the reason behind his decision to leave Congress and to leave Congress right away. I mean, he has uh, some value, uh, and that value is not going to be around uh, for much longer. That value is one in which he can make a lot of money in the private sector. Member of Congress,
0: John. Last question. Appreciate you joining us in the signal spotty, but we've, we're doing a little better than we were. Where are we on Ukraine funding? Have the have, have the two parties made any progress? Yeah, I
5: is what President Biden alluded to yesterday in the remarks that he made before the vote that took place, which is he's willing to compromise on just about anything that Republicans put together as it relates to border security, changes in uh, border immigration policy. He needs and wants that Ukraine funding. And I think that you are likely to see a bill come forward from the Senate uh, within the next week and get it over to the House of Representatives. You'll have bipartisan support. Uh, This is the way divided government works sometimes. Both parties have to compromise and Joe Biden needs to compromise if he wants that funding for Ukraine uh, for for Ukraine.
0: I think that's uh, what was made pretty clear yet. John, thank you. Appreciate your time, my man. I mean, it's a spotty signal. John's doing the best he can. We're doing the best uh, we can. S- great televisions, senior national editor, White House correspondent, John Decker, on the move this morning. On the Amtrak. Uh, on, on the Amtrak. The government funded and subsidized <laughs> and losing money every year, uh, Amtrak. Anyway, 843 um, 661 You ever ridden the Amtrak? I have. Um, yep. Not a lot. I, in, in, our, in, our, in our glory days of um, uh, building truck beds, we would very often have to go to a land far, far away and pick up trucks. And we found that um, the train was about as cheap as, in other words, if you, you don't want to send a, a chase car and an extra driver. So if you can buy cheap train tickets and we would, yeah. Um, it, was pretty, it was pretty interesting. My dad would bait us with um, kind of a spending account. In other words, an expense account if we went on the weekends. You know, I mean, he didn't want us to miss work Monday through Friday, but he would bait us with, okay, I'll tell you what right. you guys do. You guys can leave Saturday, Friday afternoon, Saturday morning, and I'll buy whatever. You know what I mean? And that was his way. And he knew that was very attractive to us, and it would be me and about three or four of the guys that worked in the business, and we would all go to the train track, get on the train, drive to – or ride to Miami, pick up trucks and bring the trucks back to um to the plant and have the trucks there, you know, by late Sunday afternoon – and anyway, you know, we'd, we'd make some entertainment in with the business, if you know what I mean. We'd have a little fun um, on our on our travels. Uh, I, got, I, I got real
1: interested one time in Amtrak. I used to travel to radio stations and install computers and train people on automation. That's what I did for a number of years. And I'd travel to, to the job sites. And a couple of, for some reason, I just got real interested in the train. So I took the train a couple of times, got a sleeper car and slept overnight and went to my job sites, I think, in Florida, which I thought it was fun.
0: I won't travel. I but I'd love for my family. I'd love for the five of us to get together, and it's going to be hard. I mean, we, all of us are in different places in our life, and my daughter's in college, and my boys are working and, and doing their thing. My wife, you know, does her thing. I mean, it's just we have different lives now. I mean, I don't like it. You've told me you struggle with some of that, with your boys. You know, you kind of – I mean, I don't wish them to be 12 again, but when they were 12, I called all the shots. Now, I call a shot. They call a shot. You know, we got to work it out with our daughter. It's just, it gets real complicated. But I've always felt it'd be fun for the family to go on one of these scenic train rides. I've never yeah. gone out west. I mean, the only time I've ever gone out west was back in the day. My, my dad had a business deal go real good. And when dad had business deals go real good, you knew it. I mean, you knew it. Uh, you know, we, we would, I mean, he would he would complain about what things cost and complain until one of the business deals went good, and it was like, I mean, you thought we were Donald Trump rolling into <laughs> town. So we went to Vail. Um, I mean, he cared everybody. I'm talking about everybody from our hometown went to Vail on his dime, um, and that's the only time I've ever gone out west is flying to Vail or flying to Denver, renting a car, driving to Vail, and snow ski for a little while. Um, I could tell a story about, Rev knows the story about the snow skiing trip, but I'll, uh, I'll save it for another day josh um i know i'm jumping around here but josh is looking to be smiling now because i know what he's thinking
2: yeah what, what are you <laughs> thinking josh the zebra story <laughs>
0: <laughs> so somebody told josh yesterday something about something came up about zebras I, I, all i know is i walked through the lobby
1: just passing through yesterday after the show and you were sitting there holding court telling the zebra
0: well, I mean, story but, to the but staff I, I, it was required and requested of me right josh <laughs>
2: That is true. See, I
0: I I wondered how that got started. I I, I don't go around saying, hey, let me tell you this zebra story. You know, (laughs) let me tell you what happened to the zebra story. But but one of the ladies in the office said, so you don't know that story? And Josh said, what story? He said, the time they fought a zebra. And Josh said, fought a zebra? (laughs) Surely there's not any truth to that. So anyway, I walked Josh through um, the day. And I actually had... Fiscal evidence, right, Josh? I mean, I showed you a picture of a defeated zebra.
2: You did. I mean,
0: Josh, did the zebra look defeated or not?
2: He did. He he was not happy.
0: Yeah, he was not happy. He'd been drugged. Um, (laughs) It may be a good time to tell that story again. I mean, I don't know the last time we told that story. Been a while. But it's um, it's 100% accurate and true. And Josh, I mean, to begin with, I think Josh, he's making this up. I mean, this is another one of those, you know, tales that get taller and taller and taller as time goes by. Oh, no, 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 no. This would have been 100% accurate and true. So when I said something about telling stories, I looked at Josh, and he's like, yep, yep, there you go. Um, I've got a zebra story and an otter story. And, um, I mean, Rev knows both, zebra and the otter. The zebra story is more suitable <laughs> right. for public edification than the, than the otter story is. But they're both I – mean, they're America first stories, right? I mean, they they come yeah. from the heartland of America. They yeah. come from the – um. The backbone, the sweat of the brow, the working class, the blue collar, uh, the lunch pail, the tough as nails America that I grew up in. So, the otter and zebra story. Um, Maybe we have a website, Rev. You and I could do a website and have premier product or premier. What am I trying to say here? Behind the paywall. Yeah, premium. Yeah, premium. There you go. The premium product behind the paywall includes the otter and zebra. (laughs) I mean, that's how diminished we are. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's how low quality. We are, you get pay an extra three ninety nine, And you don't hear these, these um, intellectual dissertations on the economy. You hear the otter and zebra story. If and you so and it'd be worth every penny. Well, well, maybe, maybe not. Um, that zebra was a handful. I'll just leave it there. That zebra was a handful. Take a break. Back in a few. Now see Josh has done that job a great disservice. He's asking for specifics and details. He can't let a story be. Right. He sticks his head at the door and says, "Okay, so this is and that is, and and tell me this and and, and tell me that." So, Josh, do you is the story believable?
2: Oh yeah, okay. yeah. I've uh, partaken in some cattywampus tomfoolery, you know, so and <laughs> <laughs> those things. Uh, and knowing you, totally, totally believable. <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? <laughs> a country boy. You describe your cousin as a guy. You you asked for a pony, and got a zebra. Which sounds completely in line with someone in your family. Okay. From from what I know about you alone, but you do you do kind of <laughs> you do kind of have me curious because you, you spent a good a good minute or so yesterday telling me the zebra story, and now you're you you got another one apparently about an otter. Yeah. And They're, I don't know if you can say it on the air, but a minute, I mean we can hear say it. it
0: on the air. My wife gets a little perturbed with this because she likes to believe we've become somewhat civilized.
2: Um, <laughs> I mean, we talked a lot about evolution yesterday.
0: Right. <laughs> I mean, my, my family evolved only so far. I mean, you know, when,
2: you're we, the guy right behind the final form well, of I mean, man. It, yeah. was, it was homo,
0: sapi, homo sapien ards, and you know <laughs> we, we, we kind of got stuck in action. I mean, we, we couldn't progress much further than that. I mean, the zebra story is true. And, and, and Josh, we did. I mean, it was the best of days. I mean, it was a beautiful Saturday morning. I mean, we, we lived out on a farm. I mean, we're going to have pony rides. And my cousin who's into exotic animals and does these nativity scenes, um, he's going to furnish us the pony. I mean I've done my manly duty. my wife's proud of me. I mean I've got everything set up. We've got about 25 or 30 kids coming over to our home, um, their families. I mean my daughter was probably six or seven maybe, and I mean it's just it was going to be the best birthday party ever until my cousin shows up not with a pony but rather a zebra. And I remember thinking, I told you yesterday, I'm like, hey, man, that's not a pony. And he said, uh, nah, this will be, I mean, I figured this. I mean, I got this. Don't worry about it. I'm mean, going to figure that as much fun as they'd have riding a pony, they'd have even more fun riding a zebra. And I remember, I, I mean, I can remember like his yesterday. I said, hey, man, I've heard that zebras can be kind of bad. <laughs> well, I don't nothing to worry about. I carried him by the vet and they gave him kind of a sedative. I mean, he's real calm. Now, you're right. Zebras can be kind of bad, but I mean, he, you know, we, we've done all we know. I mean, we, we got him. I mean, it, this is, I mean, this is a tame, this is like a zoo animal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, this is care of that. yeah very tame. <laughs> so we unload the zebra and as we're unloading the zebra, I realize, I mean, he's a very muscular, I mean, he doesn't look like a pony. And I'm thinking to myself, man, if he broke bad, we'd have a, you know, we'd have a, and about that time he broke bad and he started stomping the ground and twisting and turning and snatching that leash out of our hands. And we did what reasonable people would do. We fought him. We fought back. <laughs> and my cousin and I um, fought a zebra for about four or five minutes. And I'm talking about, I mean, my wife will vouch for this. I'm talking about back on his hind legs, you know, as high as a sky. It looked like he was a monster. I mean, like he was 25 feet tall. He's stomping the ground and he's, I mean, I had him in, kind of sort of a headlock, but he just, I mean, he kind of reared his head to one side and threw me like a bag of flour (laughs) off to one side or another. So anyway, um, I, I don't have any idea how long it took. You asked me how long it took. It took about, I mean, it felt like two hours, but it took about three or four minutes. So in the process of fighting the zebra and trying to maintain control over this exotic animal that had been not given a sedative, we found later that the veterinarian that gave him the sedative had been... He had lost his license, and he was kind of freelancing. I mean, he was kind of not practicing veterinary medicine in the typical fashion, but rather doing it on his own. He'd given him something that had just the opposite effect. Instead of a downer, he'd kind of give him an upper in Elvis Presley uh, way. So, so the zebra was doing exactly what the zebra should have done. And, and you know, that, 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 that treatment or medicine had just the opposite effect. So, so as we're fighting the zebra... I'm, I mean, I, I don't know why I can remember this, but I'm looking around and my wife has kids in each arm. She's hiding one. I mean, she's hiding children like Easter eggs. <laughs> I mean, she hides one kid under a tractor. She hires another kid on the satellite dish. There's another kid on the weather vane. I mean, she's hiding kid after kid, after kid, after kid. And, and I'm, you know, trying to do, do my manly duty and fight the zebra. So my cousin and I finally control the zebra. Um, I look over at him. His hair's all tasseled. I mean, his shirt's torn. I've got blood running down both my forearms. Because I mean, the zebra was, as we say in the country, a handful. I mean, quite a handful. So, so as I'm on my, I got my hands on my knees. I'm exhausted, and I and I'm trying to get. And and I remember looking at him like I won't call his name. I'm looking at him like, damn man. <laughs> And he looks at me like, "Yeah, I mean, you're for real. I mean, I'm with you, you know." So, so I look over to my right, and we had a long driveway, and there is car after car. It looked like um, Field of Dreams.
2: But <laughs> I mean, if you build it, they
0: will come. Well, if a zebra gets loose, they will leave. <laughs> and it was, and I so, so finally we get everything. I'm, I'm trying to apologize to my wife. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know I goofed this thing up. What did Forrest Gump say? Sorry, I had a fight at your Black Panther party uh sorry i had a zebra fight at, at libby's birthday party but it is what it is so so i asked my wife i said what, what are all those cars she said oh those are parents and their kids you know th- those are the parents of the kids that we invited our birthday party to ride ponies and when they get here you're fighting a zebra so they instantaneously did what any normal sane reasonable parent and kid would do they turned around and went back home. yeah they're, they're probably a chick-fil-a kid I mean, they're probably doing what normal people do on Saturday mornings. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's, it's my bad. I mean, I'll accept it. Well, I mean, I know it's your bad, but when you ask what they're, they're doing exactly what you or I would do. If we pulled up at a birthday party that we'd been invited to and the father or the daughter was fighting a zebra, <laughs> we'd probably turn around and go the other way.
2: That tracks.
0: And we'd go to the bouncy house. <laughs> or, or we or we go to the trampoline park and we do what normal people do, but no, we don't do what normal people do. Ken. we ask for ponies and get zebras? So that's that's kind of the um. I mean, it caused quite the, the the marital strife in my life for for several weeks. Um, and and you know, but I've got photo evidence. You saw it that I we conquered the zebra. I mean, we did not let the zebra um get the best of us. So we go to church the next Sunday, and and you know, two or three people kind of in the most just the most hypocritical well, i mean they knew what happened because the word gets around and they're like hey man i heard y'all had a big time yesterday at your birthday party <laughs> well, okay who told you that well you know i think somebody intended to go but they ended up at chick-fil-a or some trampoline park <laughs> for, for the rest of the day so so that's the zebra story um i'll tell the otter story later but that's um that's the zebra but i blame it on evolution <laughs> i mean i really after thinking about it i blame it up my, my family evolved to a certain point and we stopped and, and we still have this limitation that many other human beings in their families don't have to don't have to deal with we surpass caveman status but not by much not by very very I, I much at all i just
1: picture the parents grabbing the kids and screaming and heading to the car
0: the parents grabbed ki- my wife hid kids like easter eggs <laughs> It took us 30 minutes to oh, find I me. Mean, we good. needed tracking collars for kids. Where's where this kid? I don't know. I think I hit him under the tractor. Where's where this kid? He's behind that stupid backhoe you've had over there for, for six weeks. What about those 25 cars going out the driveway? Oh, those are the smart ones. They never left their kid at our house. They saw you fighting a zebra and decided, ah, Chick-fil-A probably be more appropriate this Saturday, this Saturday morning. Take a break. Back in a few moments. 843-661-0937 someone's on the phone let's go there dan from
1: savannah good morning dan you're on
0: good morning gentlemen uh first just
7: wanted to say uh i appreciate what you guys do because you don't give me your opinion as much as you give me the fact and let me make my own opinions and that's important so thank you for that but you started to talk about donald trump and going out and being a contractor i am a contractor uh working down here and uh, personally, I was talking to some guys that secured contracts on uh, his his uh, buildings up in Chicago, his years ago, and they were ecstatic. They got the job and then they immediately thought, oh, this is going to be a pain in the ass. Maybe I don't want this job because he's very difficult to deal with. And the experiences that I found is he you know, doesn't like to pay change orders, doesn't like to pay uh, the retention. Now, that's legal and you probably look up how many uh, contractors are suing him. Uh, But there's a lot of people that dislike how he does things, and I'm one of them, but I want him sitting across from Xi Ping and frickin' Rocket Man, because I know that son of a gun is going to use whatever leverage he needs to get done what he wants to get done. And I guess that would clarify me as one of those people who are America firsters, but not exactly Trump fans. Unfortunately, I have voted for the lesser of two evils for as long as I can remember. You know, anybody but frickin' Hillary Clinton. And my my other uh, little rant uh, since it's uh, daytime is it's not so much the presidency, it's the damn Senate that just keeps it rolling, which is another reason why Trump can just break down this business-as-usual crap that's going on. And I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about
0: it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. See, and I think that's the, um, I think that's the energy in the Republican Party. I think the, um, the last sentence the caller made, or Dan, is tired of the crap. Or excuse me, um, the way things have always been done, the way things have always been run. Um, to me, last night was a bit engaging because Vivek Ramaswamy can honestly stand there. And maybe he's an obnoxious blowhard. I mean, you know, I'll let you decide what he is or is not. But, but you can't argue that he's a part of the swamp. I mean, you got Christie on the far right talking about all the time he served in the DOJ. I mean, I, I don't know that I'd lead with that. But Christie's tone deaf. I mean, his entire world has been basically surrounded by politics. You've got Haley, um, who is now the darling of the insiders, the darling of the establishment. You've got DeSantis, who... To me, he's the best alternative. I mean, if Trump's not in the race, I'm a DeSantis supporter. I mean, I I just think of all the alternatives. I mean, there are probably some other candidates that didn't announce the run that may have had Trump not been back in. Um, But, I mean, I've got no issue with DeSantis. I mean, I think his policies are sound. I mean, he is an awkward guy. He's a little bit goofy on TV. um, But that doesn't mean he'd be a bad president by any stretch. It means it's going to be hard to win the presidency, but he'd probably be good. Pretty decent at the job if we were to allow him um, to do it. Uh, but then you've got Ramaswamy. And I think Ramaswamy's ability to say, look at these three over here. I mean, aren't we really tired of this? I mean, as, as much of, um, as, as much anti-establishment as Ron DeSantis says he is, do you really believe he's that different? I mean, we know the lady to his right has declared her path and fate. I mean, she's an insider. I mean, she's took $250,000 from a Democrat super uh, donor. She's got the Koch brothers now. The, she's got Paul Ryan running around the country. I mean, really? I mean, what, what about that strategy does Haley believe is attractive to the America First voter unless you're just tone deaf to the America First political movement? That's, that's what I don't understand, how people are smart. And maybe they're not as smart as I give them credit for. And, and I, I think Christie's, I mean, he's basically like a human torpedo. It would be interesting to, to know who put Chris Christie up to this. Christie has no chance to win, zero chance to win. But he doesn't feel he's embarrassing himself because he's going after Trump. He's talking about he's unfit. I mean, yesterday was the first day that I heard him ask another candidate, is Trump fit for office or not? They tried to put DeSantis on the spot. And here's what's happening, guys. Christie will eventually... Endorse Haley and that, you know, three or four percent. I would imagine Trump doesn't get much of, the, much of the Christie support. Haley will benefit from that. Um, but I don't see a scenario that Haley gets north of 30 percent, maybe 35 I mean, I've got friends in the Republican Party who believe that Nikki and Donald Trump head to head at 60 40. I think it's 65 35. I mean, I think 60 40 is giving her more credit than she, than she deserves, and it's not necessarily. All about Nikki. It is where the Republican electorate are um, today. Speaking of Nikki, um, she had a moment last night. Could have had a big moment had she been able to answer a question that Vivek Ramaswamy proposed. Rev asked me this morning, if you debate, are you prepared for that question? Well, I mean, you're as prepared as you can be for the unknowns. I mean, when you prepare for debate, you kind of, okay, here are the talking points I want to make sure I lead with. I mean, here's where I believe my strongest points are, are to be made. But, but here's where I could get ambushed. Here's where I could get caught off guard. Here's where they could come after me. And here's going to be my response to that. And Ramaswamy basically looked to me like he caught Governor Haley flat-footed a bit when he said, you ready, Josh? Because I'm going to get in cue here real quick. And let's play about um, a minute and 10 seconds of Vivek Ramaswamy going after um, Nikki Haley last night.
8: I want to say one thing about the tie to Ukraine, if I may. So foreign policy experience is not the same as foreign policy wisdom. I want everybody at home to note that I was the first person to say we need a reasonable peace deal in Ukraine. Now a lot of the neocons are quietly coming along to that position, with the exceptions of Nikki Haley and Joe Biden, who still support this, what I believe is pointless war in Ukraine. And I think those with foreign policy experience, one thing that Joe Biden and Nikki Haley have in common is that neither of them could even state for you three provinces in eastern Ukraine that they want to send our troops to actually fight for. Look at that. This is Is what I want people to understand. These people have, I mean, she has no idea what the hell the names of those provinces are, but she wants to send our sons and daughters and our troops and our military equipment to go fight it. So reject this myth that they've been selling you that somebody had a cup of coffee stint at the U.N. and then makes eight million bucks after has real foreign policy and experience. It, it takes an outsider to see this through. Look at the blank expression. She doesn't know I'm the ready. names of the provinces that she wants to actually fight for. And All there's right, a go puppet go. masters I mean, right Christy, there. The, donors, the I mean, donors
0: right there that are playing her like the puppet okay, masters. See, I think that is a blistering moment. I mean, that, that is, I mean, oh, Nikki's no got, I mean, I don't know how you prepare for that. I mean, that, that is a, I mean, call it, a, here. you ready? I'll give everybody difference. That's an obnoxious blowhard blistering a seasoned candidate in politics. Now, now I mean, Nikki had a chance. Now, now it, you could barely hear, but Chris Christie is trying to intervene because Christie's carrying the water for the establishment as much as he can. I mean, Haley's there. there, there I mean, they've convinced themselves that if they are going to stop the Trump train, so to speak, it's going to be with Governor Haley. I mean, that's what the insiders have decided. The establishment, um, you know, the old guard, I mean, they, they've decided DeSantis can't do it. I mean, we thought maybe he could, but he can't. There's no way Chris Christie does it. But Nikki Haley, we think if anybody is to rise to, to the level of becoming a legitimate threat to Donald Trump in the primary, it could be Governor Haley. And you're seeing kind of, I mean, Jamie Dimon and the Koch brothers and Wall Street in general, some of the Democrat uh, super donors and bundlers are now getting on board. But when Chris Christie realized that Nikki was caught deer in the headlights, he tried to intervene. I mean, he tried to do the, um, you know, uh, defend the woman's honor. How dare you attack the woman? Yeah, heard him trying to intervene. Well, I mean, yeah, that's exactly what he was doing, and he had no answer. I mean, he had no answer. And, and Vivek never called Christie by name. I mean, he said the only two people. He didn't say two on this stage. He intentionally did that. He didn't say. Haley and, uh, and Christie, I mean, they, Haley both, and Biden. they both support the war in Ukraine, but Haley's the only person in the primary, and that was pretty strategic because he could have said the only two people on this stage that continue to support funding the war in Ukraine is Haley and Christie, and then it's legitimate for Christie to jump in. I mean, whoever told Vivek Ramaswamy to do that, I mean, that's good political instincts. I mean, that really and truly is because now it looks like Christie's getting in the middle of a of a discussion that he has no business getting in the getting in the middle of. But if you say Haley and Christie, you've kind of opened the door for Christie to to kind of cover his tracks and and Haley's tracks. But had Nikki been able to name the provinces, she wins the night, no doubt. Because the one thing a lot of people are convinced of is Nikki Haley. It's your typical ambitious politician looking for the next best job. There's not a lot of seriousness here. I mean, it's another rung on the ladder from 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 the legislature to the governor, from the governor to the ambassador, from the ambassador to the Boeing board. What's next after the Boeing board? Um, it's going to be the presidency. And she had a chance to say, no, stop with that. I'm a serious person, and here are the three provinces that I do uh, – even if you can't name the provinces, I told Rev this morning, the way I would have handled it is say, I've never argued to go to war in Ukraine. I've never argued um, to, to, to send American treasure to Ukraine. I mean, you kind of, but she was caught flat-footed and had that deer in the headlight look. and Christy knew it. I mean, Christy knew that she was struggling and he tried his best to intervene, you know, kind of a um, Ramaswamy bullying the lady and the, 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 the gentleman comes and defends the lady's honor. I mean, that was what Christie had in mind. And he basically said that, if you'll listen to the extended tape, when he said, you know, how dare you attack this very serious woman? I mean, in essence, that's what he said. You're saying she doesn't know what she's talking about. How dare you attack this very serious woman? But that was a bad—last night was a bad night for Dickey. I mean, it just was. I'm not saying she—you know, her campaign's futile and done and doesn't have a chance. I mean, that was the case before the debate. I mean, it's— It's it's Donald Trump's primary. I mean, I I don't know what it takes to convince people other than Trump supporters that it's just not the time. I read Twitter a lot, and there's just so many opinions out there that are inconsistent with reality. And these are smart people. And I understand they're getting paid a lot of money to say certain things a certain way and to convince certain voters to vote a certain way, but it ain't working. I mean, it's just not. Um, This party is dominated by America first. It's 60% or better. I mean, I'll stand to my guy still believe it's two or three. And um, there's nobody on that stage last night that has a chance, a chance of beating Donald Trump in a Republican primary. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937, our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Scott in Florence. Good morning.
1: Good
9: morning, gentlemen. Hey, I I wanted to answer uh, Ken's question about what uh, Chris Christie and uh, Nikki Haley are thinking by uh, going against the America's First movement. Pardon my voice. I lost it yesterday in a brisk conversation. Uh, But uh, first I wanted to say, Ken, you're dead right. Uh, Ramaswamy um, is uh, just airing the complaints of I think the educated people who finally he feels he's not encumbered anymore by uh, numbers and he's got to actually speak truth to power. And I think we, um, you know, conservative folks, but not folks who have a seat at the table, um, you know, we've had uh, uh, felt frustrated by having the right answers, but never a champion. And that's what Donald Trump uh, and now Ramaswamy, to a lesser extent, represents to us um, the America Firsters. Um, I think, uh, you know, Chris Christie, he's been given money by the establishment just enough to um, show up to the debates um, and to do exactly what he's tried to do. We know in our modern society that everything, you know, anything from Nike to the Kardashians, uh, and Donnie Deutsch's Madison Avenue theory of everything's about branding. You don't have to have value. Chris Christie has been you know, uh, an abject failure as far as attacking Trump and attacking the America First movement. Uh, but then again, if you don't have a good aesthetic, which Chris Christie lacks, um, people aren't going to take you seriously because you don't take your, yourself or your health seriously. So he's tough to listen to uh, in today's modern society. Um, you know, Nikki Haley accepting that Democrat donor money. That is exactly what uh, leads me to the point. When I heard that Bundler gave her money, I was like, what the heck's going on? And the question I have and my theory is whatever the Democrats did during the 2020 presidential election cycle in the macro, and what they did in the 2022 anti red wave micro in the uh, congressional districts. Uh, Races, Whatever they did, do you think they have now shared that with the Republican establishment to stop Trump? And I'll let you guys chew on that question. That's my theory, and that's the one I'm going with. Uh, Great show this morning,
0: and uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate the call. Um, the, 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 The theory of the Democrats and some Republicans conspiring to try and stop Trump, I mean, that's not a theory. I mean that's out in the public. We know that's happening. I don't have any idea who they are, what percentage, how they're working um, together, who's funding. I don't have any idea of any of that. But there is no denying that that I mean, Chris Christie is on the debate stage as a Republican nominee, saying that the front runner is uh, unfit for office, and he's going to be is charged with felonies and all these other sorts of things. I mean. That's just, that's such a, and then the next breath, he says, Reagan is who he modeled his political life after. And Reagan's 11th commandment was thou shalt say not a negative word about a fellow Republican. So Christie is just a big old hypocrite, literally and effectively. <laughs> um, well, I mean, he is, I mean, he's just, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a deadbeat and he's a guy that can't find anything else to do. And, and, and Vivek Ramaswamy made a point last night to talk about DeSantis Haley and I mean they're having to do this and I understand it. But they're having to say some unpleasant things about Donald Trump. And when you insult Trump, a lot of his base believe you're insulting them. But but I look at from from right to left, I look at Christie, and I'm talking about if, I, if I'm Ramaswamy and I'm sitting here, to my immediate right is um DeSantis, to to the next to the right is this Haley, and then my extreme right would be I'm um, Chris Christie. Why are those three relevant in American politics today? I mean, what is their status based upon today? Christie was a former governor of New Jersey, left a bit disgraced. His approvals were 17 percent. He ran for the nomination in twenty sixteen and got out before the you know he really got started. You've got Haley and DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy. Basically, said last night, Ron DeSantis, the only reason. You're a relevant figure as winning of the governorship and you don't win that without Donald Trump. So, so the point is that these three figures that are all being somewhat critical and I'm talking about degrees of criticalness would be, um, you know, DeSantis has been less critical of Trump than the others. Um, Nikki's been, I mean, she's coming along lately to be real critical of Trump, but, but, but Christie's whole shtick is Trump sucks. He's unfit. You know, I'd, I'd rather have a Democrat than Donald Trump. if we elect Trump, we're, or if we nominate Trump, we have no chance to win win the general. But all three of those, in varying degrees, were bootlickers. I mean they were Trump bootlickers. The only relevance they have in politics today is that Trump kind of reintroduced them or introduced them to the, to the national scene. So, so the very guy that they're running against and I'm not saying I support Trump's theory on loyalty I don't. I don't think DeSantis owes Trump you know, not to run. I don't think I think Elsa de Masselle would have been smarter not to run. I don't think Nikki owes that. I mean I don't think you you make a decision of what you think is in your personal interest. It's not about public service. It's about politics. Can I win? I mean if anybody thinks they can win the presidency, they're crazy not to seek uh, election. But but I do believe that if Trump wins, it's gonna be a, a win unlike any we've ever seen. And the difference in Trump winning this time and in twenty sixteen is everybody not directly supportive of Trump or against him? I mean, imagine, imagine the media bias, the, the historical bias, the, the way the elections are going to be conducted. I mean, imagine how many forces Trump is having to deal with. And I'm talking about America first. I'm not talking about Trump individually. I mean, he's got a lot of problems. 81, is it 81 or 91? 81, uh, you know, pending indictments that he'll have to deal with at some point in time. I think it's kind of interesting. A couple of Democrats recently have said, you ready? This is kind of interesting. Well, I mean, the, the, the charges in New York are probably bogus. You know, but some of these other federal charges are very serious. The charges in New York are probably, are probably bogus. Well, you know what the charges in New York could do? They could stop him from doing business in New York. I mean, that's how bogus they are. That's how made up and drummed up and concocted and political they are. I mean, I would imagine if any lawsuit keeps Trump up at night, it's that. I mean if he's thrown out of politics let's say he's I mean let let's worst case scenario let's say that in July of next year or June of next year or April of next year let's say that that Trump makes a deal and 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 decides to get out of the race in trade for not going to prison I mean that some media members are putting that on the table right Trump could go to prison we joked around and said the resolute desk fits inside the jail cell, so he'll just execute the country's political business from behind bars. We know that's tongue-in-cheek. I mean, that's being sarc- sarcastic and, 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 and satirical, whatever, however you want to uh, evaluate that. But, but in all seriousness, worst-case scenario, Trump's guilty dead to rights in one of these federal charges, and he's got big problems. And he says, OK, or somebody comes to him, Jack, just say Jack Smith goes to or send somebody to see Trump and say, look, if you'll take your name off the ballot, we'll let you walk. I mean, we, we, you know, you'll be charged with something, but it'll be jaywalking, that there'll be no no time in prison. I mean, what does Trump say to that? I mean, what, what is what, what is Trump's response to that? Surely you understand that that's not an extreme position. I mean, that's. If the, Repu- if the Democrats and about 20% of the Republicans could do that, they would. I mean, They would do anything in their power to defeat Donald Trump. And one way of defeating Donald Trump is to get him off the ballot. I mean, we've already seen about five states. I mean, Donald Trump has never been charged with insurrection. But there are five states that judges have decided to hear a case about whether he should be allowed to be on the ballot or not because of article, what is it, section, it's the 14th 14. Amendment, section three of the 14th Amendment, I think, inciting or aiding or abetting an insurrection. He's never been charged with insurrection. I mean, he's never been charged with inciting an insurrection, but they're making up these charges. So, so that's what we're dealing with. I mean, that 20% of Republicans and every single Democrat would be supportive of somebody in Jack Smith's office going to Donald Trump and saying, If you take your name off the ballot, we'll let you walk. But if not, we're going to prosecute you to the nth degree, and we're going to try everything in our power to put you in prison. That's where we are, fundamentally. That's what's happening in American politics today. And and the irony of Trump is a threat to democracy. I mean, just kind of stew on that for a second. Every Democrat, 20% of Republicans, Would take that trade today. Off the ballot, but you don't go to prison. Off the ballot, you'll 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 plead to lesser charges. We'll make a deal with you. And Trump's the threat to democracy. I mean, these people should be ashamed of themselves. And I guess the nation in general should be ashamed of themselves. So if Trump wins, I mean imagine the hurdles that he's had to overcome. And I don't think Trump is some magnificent politician. I just think the people. And I think the, the organized forces, that the insiders, the cathedral, as we like to say, I just think they're still underestimating the energy that got Trump elected in 16, got him 75 million votes in 20, and are probably getting more than that in 2024. Take a break. Back in a few. My, my point is this, and we'll get to the call in two seconds. My point is this. Trump has asked for a lot of this. I mean, I mean, he challenges the media, he challenges the, the establishment, he challenges all these separate places, but, but imagine the story in November of 2024 if he wins. I mean, if he, if he overcomes every odd and obstacle that is thrown in his face, I mean, he's got 91 indictments to deal with, he's got a lawsuit in, in New York he's dealing with, he's got viability or not of his, of his business, he's got all the Democrats, he's got about 20 or 25% of the Republicans And I'm not talking about could take him or leave him. I'm talking about they are dead set on stopping him from getting elected and will do anything in their power to stop him. What does it say about our political system when one person is that opposed by that many powerful factions and he still wins? I mean, I'm not saying he will. I mean, if the election were today, Donald Trump could win. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the odds, you believe polling, don't believe polling, There's too much data out there now that clearly shows he would win the presidency today, but the election's not today. And there are a lot of things can happen between now and then, and there'll be more of the same. I mean, it's not going to, it's not like the Republican establishment and the Democrats and the media and academia. It's not that they're all of a sudden say, well, you know, this, this, uh, this half the country really want this guy to be president. So let's pump the brakes on some of this opposition. I mean, forget that. I mean, the the resistance will only intensify to stop him from getting elected. I mean, we've already seen five states try to take him off the ballot. That's not the end of that. I mean, there will be other states, once they decide, I'm not sure we can beat him, there will be other states that try to be as creative as they need to be to see if there's a way to remove his name from the ballot. That's just, I mean, that's odd to me that we have gotten here, that one guy, can generate that much resistance and still still be the heavyweight champion of the world or a chance to win the belt again. Let's go to the phone. Jeff in Florence, good morning.
1: Hey, good morning.
10: Um, You love an underdog story. Uh, You know, that's great. Um, First, uh, if I offended you yesterday with my beliefs in Christianity uh, and my assuredness, uh, I do apologize. I didn't mean to get that. Uh, no, you don't want I me mean, an apology.
0: You know.
10: I mean, I, well, it? I mean, you and Dave had that off conversation about how sure I was, and you know, if I'm sure about Christianity, I'm sorry if that offended
0: you. No, you were sure about a lot of things outside of Christianity. There were, yeah, you were okay, sure but, that evolution is a part of uh, creation. You were sure that. Um,
10: no, I said it's a possibility. <laughs> Okay. If you, if you heard something else, I'm sorry you heard something. Well,
0: my bad. If I heard it wrong, I apologize to you. But you sounded yeah, real sure of yeah. yourself.
10: No, yeah, I mean, like, you don't think you sound
0: sure when you talk about religion? I try not to sound arrogantly sure.
10: Well, you hear arrogance when you want to.
0: Well, fair enough. Um,
10: yeah. And so, as far as um, what Chris Christie's doing on that stage, this this was the thing I had to I wanted to talk about. What do you think Ramaswamy's doing up there? He's Trump's sick dog. Okay. Who put him on that stage?
0: Um, The RNC.
10: Okay. You don't think Trump's helping?
0: I doubt very seriously the RNC helps Trump get much of anything done.
10: Really? Because I, I remember Donald Trump placing a call to Ronna McDaniels with John Eastman on the phone telling Rona, we need your help with the electors. Getting these alternate slates of electors put together. Well, I mean, you the, don't the, think that she helped?
0: Him? Well, mean, Trump does set the criteria. The criteria is set by the RNC. Ramaswamy Absolutely. has no chance to be president, but he met the criteria. Christie has no chance to be president, but he had met the criteria. The, the truthfulness yeah. is none of those four on the stage have any chance to be president, but they all met the criteria the RNC created.
10: Well, when a, if a chess piece gets removed from the board, they all have a chance.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, if Trump were to die in to his sleep tonight, sure, they'd have to figure out another way to move forward and pick a nominee.
7: Yeah.
10: And and as far as like uh these these candidates, let's just talk about these other candidates like Cornell West. Who's who is actually funding Cornell West?
0: I have no idea.
10: That Harlan Crowe, do you know that name? Yeah, of course I do. Okay. That's a donor.
0: Who funded Jill Stein? But being a donor and funding a campaign are two separate things,
10: right? Right. Why did Donald Trump have uh, a? Meeting but that, but that's not what you said.
0: You said who's funding his campaign, yeah. and then you said Crow, and you said he's a donor. And I'm 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 offering to you as advice that there's a difference in being a donor and funding a campaign. They're not uh, the same.
10: Okay, so you think RFK... No, I don't being, think that. I
0: know that being a funder yeah. and a donor are two separate things.
10: Okay, um, right, right. Okay, that's good in your mind. Um, but when you think you see RFK with with Steve Bannon, with Joe Rogan, with all of these right-leaning Tucker Carlson, um, and his money is coming from... Is Rogan right-leaning? Right. Yes. I mean, you don't think he is not at all okay okay um i would say he leans more right than left wouldn't you
0: Uh, i I think sometimes he does sometimes he doesn't okay
10: well that's that's good but uh he's putting forward our
0: i mean he's, he's not on your team so if he's not on your team i would imagine he's a right winger i
10: i don't i don't think of it in those terms but sure um you know, like, I consider, I see a difference between MAGA and Republicans, for sure. Um, I think you do also, right? Yeah, sure I do. If you're not MAGA, you're a rhino,
0: right? I didn't say that.
10: Well, do you think that?
0: No, not at all. I don't think you have to okay. be um, a rhino if you don't support the the Make America Great Again or America First movement. No, I mean, I think you can be a traditional, orthodox conservative in the in the george wheel william buckley mode i mean i think there's some of that and i respect that i mean i think there's some fundamental intellectual conservatism in that
10: there is and and uh, you know the republican party had a long long history of being conservative uh being you know uh pro-america strong military it's sad to see what it's become um and you see it
0: it's it's sad to see no for you it's very exciting for me to be a part of a movement within a political party that I think could eventually shape policy for a generation that, that you, you, when you say it's sad I get it I mean that's the way you feel and you're certainly entitled to that but but I am unbelievably excited about the potential of what could happen to the Republican Party if we can get Trump elected in 24 find the heir apparent and pass the baton to a true a, a, a true return to the government working on behalf of the American people, not not the world in general.
10: I mean, I, I think we all want America to do well. We disagree on how it gets there.
0: I, I don't know that um, we all want America to do well. I, you know, I would question whether Barack Obama wants America in its former I used to and current think that. times. Well, I mean, I did. I, I, I did believe that. Yeah. I, mean, I, I stopped short of saying that Obama doesn't like America, but I think the Obama— the Obama doctrine, the Obama mandate, the Obama pact, whatever you want to call it, I think it includes diminishing America on, on the world stage.
10: Yeah, I, I understand you guys need a new boogeyman because Hillary is leaving the stage and the Clintons aren't relevant like they used to be. The guy and that says everything about
0: man. Donald Trump accuses somebody else of needing a new boogeyman. <laughs> yeah, Listen, I... Am that's I, rich. I, I, that, that, about, that's pretty you know, rich now. I mean, the, 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 yeah. I will no, put up with a lot no of accusations, but but it's the guy, no guy that the, what you
10: do. the guy
0: that says you know we're we're going to get Trump and we're going to get Trump and we're going to get and what about Trump and what about but but I need a boogeyman. <laughs> yeah,
10: look, it's no different than what you do.
0: <laughs> so, Jeff, you know what, what I think. I mean, you, you asked me a lot of what I think. You know what I think? Yeah, I think you believed. That everything you guys threw at Trump would eventually drive a wedge between Trump and half America. And it's only intensified that relationship. And you are unbelievably frustrated and concerned that there may be a lot more to this than you ever imagined.
10: Let, Let me put it to you this way. Lindsey Graham was right. The Republican Party is in shambles. They can put forward no coherent message. They pass nothing. You heard Chip Roy's speech on the, on the floor of the Congress. Pass me one thing I can run on, and they can't. If you think the Republican Party or in America First is in good shape, you are got your head in the sand. Fair enough. You know, you know that Why, why is Trump
0: Donald Trump leading in five of six swing states and right now the Absolutely. odds on favor to be president?
10: Yeah. Hey. I, because I America's not to,
0: buying what you guys are trying to sell. Yeah, do me a favor. Americans Roberts- believe that your party sucks at running the country and they yeah, believe Trump a- did a better job of it. Yeah, do me a favor. Next time Roberts on the phone, ask him
10: about his last poll where they had a 1.4% participation rate. Participation rate. A uh, participation rate. They made that poll that you keep referencing and that Roberts referencing out of 100,000 calls, they would have gotten 1,400 people on the phone. That's the poll you're referencing.
0: And what does that mean? But
10: th- that, that it's worthless. I mean, you guys, you know, the polls have been absolutely worthless because nobody uses the landlines and nobody is participating in polls. Like, when's the last time you got a, poem, uh, a poll phone call i
0: don't what? know that i've ever been polled politically i mean i'll be i don't know that i've ever participated as a part of a sample to, in a political poll but but i don't understand we, we got to take a break jeff i'm sorry uh, it's, yeah. it's, he's giving a big sign at me that i don't want to run out of time here uh do we need to take a break or do we go all the way to the we need to take a break yeah okay take yeah, a break Take a break. back in a few tuscaloosa alabama is known for college football that's sort of violence We're going to have violence last night on the debate stage between the four candidates. It was pretty ruckus. Yeah, we've we've um we've thinned the herd a bit, and it's down to four, but it's still without the uh, the perennial front runner. And it was in Tuscaloosa. I found that kind of interesting. Alabama gets in, Florida State does not. The uh, the Republican Party chooses Tuscaloosa, Alabama to have a debate. It's the fourth debate. Um, Fox News Radio's Evan Brown is in Miami. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. So were there any major takeaways last night, Eben?
11: Well, I think the major takeaway is Donald Trump is still the front runner. Chris Christie is still the bottom runner. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy's act wear, uh, wearing a bit thin. Uh, Nikki Haley appearing a bit kind of tired and over it. Ron DeSantis giving good policy answers, but still sort of suffering from the charisma issue that, he's, that has sort of plagued him for a while, I think. Uh, ultimately i don't think anyone's minds are changed by last night um we did i feel get more substantive answers uh considering that there are only four people on stage that makes it a bit easier to have a real debate as opposed to you know reducing people to 30 seconds or less than answers uh but uh y- y- yes there were some nasty moments i think uh, uh Uh, something that was very weird to me was Chris Christie defending Nikki Haley's honor at some point uh, where he yelled at Vivek Ramaswamy about being more respectful to Nikki Haley. I felt that was a bit weird. Um, Look, if you're running to be president of the United States, you don't need other people to tell you not to be mean to you. Uh, It felt kind of weird. Maybe Chris Christie is hoping to be picked as Nikki Haley's running mate. I I don't know. I hear a bit of sarcasm in your voice when you say that, but we'll, um, we'll let that slide.
0: So Evan, I found, did did, did I not conceal that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) This is, this was an interesting moment to me. You're right. I mean, Ramaswamy stylistically does it in a, in a a way that Republican voters are not historically accustomed to, but he did land a punch when he said, and and, and kind of portray Nikki as the traditional neocon warmonger. I mean, he's used that sort of terminology, And she looked like a deer in the headlights. I mean, there was no ability she, to respond she did. to that. And
11: yeah, she she. Uh, there was one line it was something to do with Dick Cheney and lipstick, uh, and uh, there was another uh, uh, the, the name three provinces in Ukraine, uh, and she appeared not to either couldn't or wouldn't. I she she did have these moments of feeling like oh, why am I here or I can't keep up or whatever the the feeling is. But uh, I I don't know. Again, it didn't look good. I don't think it changed anyone's minds about anything. I think last night's goal for the four candidates on stage was to try to drum up as many people as possible. Uh, As you know, Republicans always, no matter what, have a turnout problem, and that's uh, specifically problematic when you have a caucus. You cannot vote early for a caucus. You cannot vote absentee for a caucus. You have to physically show up to church basements and school gyms and public libraries and whatever else, Elks Lodge, you know, rooms and whatever, uh, and uh, be courted by candidate uh, uh, committees and be, you know, brought into a corner and and then be counted. Uh, If your people don't show up, you don't do well. Uh, And so I think that last night was really used for that purpose of trying to at least invigorate those who do support each candidate to make sure they're going to show up in caucus. Um, Ramaswamy brought up what I thought was a really great point about this whole process, uh, because uh, saying that his his supporters tend to be younger and maybe college student or college student age. And so maybe they're newly registered as Republicans or not registered or, uh, or not registered yet, however it works. And so their cell phones aren't on all the lists that get handed out to the pollsters. So they don't get the phone calls for the polls. Therefore, they're underrepresented or not represented in polling. Uh, and so he feels he has more support out there than what's being reflected and that they're going to show up on caucus night. That's a great point to make. I don't know if it's it's true, but it's certainly plausible. Um, but ultimately, I still think Donald Trump is is the front runner. And and to, to the moderator's credit, they really brought that up and got each candidate to sort of address that. Uh, And uh, and the person who went the hardest on that was Chris Christie, saying Donald Trump is unfit to be president. He's going to take retribution on all of his enemies. That's not what you're supposed to do. Meanwhile, the whole Chris Christie campaign is predicated on retribution against Donald Trump uh either personally or politically uh you know Chris Christie was the first i think to drop out in 2016 and endorse Donald Trump and i think he he intended to get a some kind of administration or even cabinet job that never happened probably having to do with the bad blood between the Christie family and the uh the Kirshner family uh and uh that uh that probably didn't uh, go with his plan for him and now he's upset about it Very well explained. Evan, thank you for your time,
0: sir. You got it. And, um, I mean, Edmund does a great job of um, maintaining his journalistic integrity but getting a little bit creative and leading in, uh, in some of his answers. And I want to go back to what I what I said a second ago. Whether you like Trump or hate Trump, wh- whether you believe in America first or don't, wh- whether you believe it's a farcical and it's not real and it's phony and it's, it's a passing fad, I, mean, I get how you could land in a lot of different places in regards to Trump as a political figure and the movement – as, um, as sustainable or not. I mean, I understand that. Jeff makes valid points. I mean, I think he's snarky in the way he makes those points, but, you know, liberals tend to be a bit snarky. Um, I, I'm not sudden unfair. Um, real sure of themselves. How about it? So, um, but, but it's still amazing to me. And, and I guess this would be, remember when Thigpen said, uh, I don't know, in 2016 or 17, after Trump got elected, he said, what I'd give to be 40 years old and beginning a career in political science and have to psychoanalyze and evaluate what we never saw coming, but, but here it is. And, you know, I just believe Rev and, and I could be wrong. I mean, I'm basing this on a, a you know, an, an opinion I have. I just believe that when the election of 2020 was concluded and they finally got the vote certified, there were some in establishment world that said, Damn, that was close. But we some way, somehow, put Humpty Dumpty back together again, and let's make sure we never deal with that ever again. And I was even concluding that Trump probably wouldn't run again. All, all he had to tolerate and put up with, and he persisted, and, and I'm, not, I'm not defending Trump at every turn. I'm not, I'm not saying that Trump is a, um, you know, I, mean, I joke around Cheeto Jesus. I hope you understand there's some sarcasm it's laced with sarcasm when I say that, but but all of a sudden he announces that he's running again, and I'm like, oh crap! I mean, here we go. You know, I wonder where this ends <laughs> up. And I've been unbelievably surprised at how much better, and and I mean this sincerely, how much better they've handled themselves in the last year. One of the beauties of Trump is, I mean, obviously there's truth social, you know, and he says these things and. People talk about his spelling and his, you know, the where the he puts the commas and the periods. And, you know, he, he uses the word um, 2, 2 o 0 where it should have been 2 or 2-W-O or, or whatever. I mean, he's highly, he's highly criticized when he makes these social media posts, but they're, they're not unbelievably controversial. And, you know, a bit of me says maybe we've conditioned the voter to accept this as the new normal. It's a little bit like NIL, and I don't like NIL. I don't like the fact that we got kids transferring out of one school into another and getting paid a little more money, putting themselves on the market, this place and and that place and another. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. The consumer of college football are beginning to be conditioned that this is the new normal. You asked me about the Mm Gamecock running back yesterday Mm -hmm. uh, or today. I, I don't know. I don't know what happens with Mario Anderson. I do know the kid from Arkansas. Is legit. I mean, he's a you know former five star sort of sort of player. Um, so this is where we are.
1: Yeah, you're getting used to the one and done seasons with some of these players.
0: And and, and whether you like it or not, it, I mean, I'd say it's irrelevant, but it's not going to impact the outcome. I mean, you're not going to change il ILA transfer portal. And, and it's almost like the voters have. I don't. I don't say acquiesced. The the voters have resided the fact that we aren't going back to the Mitt Romneys of the world, the John McCain's of the world, the reverent statesman. That, that the American voter looks up to. Um, we're, we're now ready for about anything. And, and, you know, rough and tumble Donald Trump announces he's running again, and America kind of likes it. I, I just think Trump is the NIL and transfer portal of American politics. People didn't like it, but now they're beginning to kind of accept. Now, now I'll tell you, who doesn't like the transfer portal if your best players leave. You know, who does like it. If you happen to land a couple of really good ones, I mean, I'll use mine and your Gamecocks. The year that Spencer Rattler and Juice Wells came, we were ecstatic about this new opportunity to do things differently. Um, the next year, Jaheim Bale and Jordan Burst leave. And, and what do we say? I, I hate the transfer right. portal. I mean, it's dumb. <laughs> it's stupid to allow that craziness to happen. And, and I just think that you, you and I and a lot of other college football fans have reluctantly acknowledged that, hey, this is the way things are. This is the way it's going to be. Um, and and maybe the voter have said, ah, "Damn Trump." I mean, he's crazy and he says things and does things. But m- m- maybe dignity's overrated. Maybe reverence is overrated. Maybe being a statesman got us is is the reason we ended up where we've ended up. And and his abnormal behavior has become somewhat normal. And more and more Americans are beginning to say to themselves, "I mean, I know what's in the." I mean, the polling shows this. Jeff can say what he wants to about polling, but the polling clearly shows that Biden sucks on the economy. Biden sucks on immigration. Biden sucks on taxes. I mean, I guess the Democrats could run on abortion. I mean, imagine a political party. Imagine if you're a political party, because Jeff said the Republicans have nothing to run on. I mean, they stand for nothing. The Democrats' winning hand is killing babies but I mean, that that is really and truly where the democrats find themselves. They can't run on debt, they can't run on taxes, they can't run on the economy, they can't run on immigration. But I mean, the one thing they can run on is allowing a woman to exterminate a pregnancy when he when, when she chooses. Um that's bizarre to me. And, and then make the accusation that, you know, the other party doesn't know what it stands for or believes in when when every democrat race that, that is run, and we've had some special elections, some off-year elections, and, and they'll tell you that abortion's a winning hand for us. You know, that's where we need to lead to the, the debate. And uh, it's just, how do, you, how do you accuse one party of being void of ideas or, or, or political you know notions that are popular with the American public when, when you try to steer every campaign back to ending pregnancies before the baby is born? Let's go to the phone. Jim in Florence, good morning
5: hey good morning guys uh, so we can probably uh, fix the abortion debate uh, real quick uh, to get one you got to be a registered Democrat um, and that way we can ensure the uh, the future is conservative but my biggest takeaway last night Ken was the one crowd left that that should um, the one crowd left that should be pro war is the Republican party. And I looked up the, um, recruitment numbers. The army is 15,000 recruits short, and I know they try to tell us that, um, it's because, um, these children are too fat and lazy today, but it's because nobody wants to fight for this government. Now, at what point does the uniparty except that the working class is no longer willing to fight their wars. So that's the question I have for you, Ken.
0: Thank you, Jim. There's an article in the American Conservative today. And I want Rev to look over my shoulder here. What, what does that say? Why join the military mm-hmm. to defend everyone except, except Americans. Americans? Wow. I mean, J- Josh would be a great source here. Josh, grab that mic if you don't mind. Will do. So, so I mean, you would be of age. I mean, if, if, if we were in dire straits, and, and Jim is right. I mean, there have been a tremendous decline in the number of men and women who consider or will consider the military as a career. It's probably a more lucrative career than it's ever been. I mean, they're getting signing bonuses, and they're waiving some of the— um, I think at one time, you couldn't be over the age of 30. Now it's 34. Tattoos were illegal. Now you can have tattoos. I mean, they're, they've done a lot of creative things. I guess to be a little bit—I mean, you know—it's different culture, different society. Um, things are a little bit different, you know, than they were back then. So what I'm saying is, some of the military brass have agreed, and and the policy reflects this. That look, if we exclude people who have tattoos, drink beer, and are a bit overweight, we can't have an army. We can't have a navy, air force, marine, coast guard. But if we begin to be a little more exclu- uh, inclusive, we we can meet our our numbers and markers and all. But I believe that one of the inhibitors to young people joining the military is they believe the military is misguided. They, they believe the military has lost its objectives. And, 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 you know, they're thinking about, okay, if I join the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine, Coast Guard, there's a chance I get some education money. I mean, there's a chance I serve four, six, eight years and end up in a much better place for the rest of my life. I get some benefit, health insurance, pension and whatnot. But, but I'm not crazy about dying in some political war somewhere. I, I think that is, we, we don't believe 23-year-olds think about that, but they, I just think they do. I mean, I, I just think when a 23-year-old is beginning to decide what to do with the rest of our 20-year-old, let's say a 20-year-old, 20 year olds begin beginning to decide, okay, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And they begin to seriously contemplate college or vocation or, you know, employment or the military. I think a lot of the decisions that they make are based on not the former model of the armed forces, but rather the current model. And I think they know how influenced our incursions or, 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 or um, interventions are based on our, our political. Our, 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 it's always been political. I mean, it, you know, the president sends people to war. Uh, Roosevelt decided a day which lives in infamy is today. I mean, today I officially declare war on the, you know, the Empire of Japan. I mean, that's Roosevelt doing that. So, so, I mean, it's not like the guy on the street can declare war. You know, there has to be an official political move made or a political, I don't know. Uh, it's supposed to be Congress. Sure, I mean, it's supposed to be Congress. Um, and historically, before we got into the military industrial complex era, it was um, Congress. Now there's an abuse of power, but the courts have given the president broad discretion of what he can or cannot do. But, but I do believe that a lot of young people who would have normally considered the military as an alternative are not joining because they believe that the Pentagon will will get you killed in some meaningless turf battle in Ukraine or Poland or some other foreign land that
2: doesn't have American safety or security interests at heart. That's a that's exactly what's going on with the, the kids these days, especially with me, is uh, with this kind of political divide that's going on, it's, it's exactly what you said, but on two different sides. So you have people like me who my mindset is, why am I going to go fight and die horribly for a country uh, that, that's promoting, like, transgenderism and and cutting the genitals off of babies and stuff and killing babies? Like, why should I go die for them? And conversely, the, the, those people believe, like, well, why would I die for a country that's that's sexist, that's racist, that's homophobic? So so on both sides, you get this kind of like, well, what's worth dying for about America right now?
0: So how do we find our soul there? I mean, if we all believe that one of the fundamentals of government is to provide a national defense to keep Americans safe, how do we get to a place? Because we're, we're kind of sort of bribing young men and women to join the armed forces. We're giving them money, educational opportunities. We're giving them a little better deal than they would normally, have normally had. And I get it. I mean, I understand Passing a drug test, being physically fit, not being obese, being smart enough. I mean, some of the ASVAB testing, I get all that. Um, but, but I still believe a lot of the reluctance is based in what Josh just said. Uh, a family raised in my home would say, I'm not dying for a company that celebrates transgenderism. And then on the other side of town, on the left side of town, someone says, well, I'm not, I'm not having my kid die for this racist, bigoted um, nation that we call America. I mean, we've gotten ourselves in a quandary. We really have. And I'm telling you, we can live with a a bad Congress. I mean, we've done that for a long time. We can live through a bad president. We're doing that right now. But I'll tell you, I mean, if we have a a, a 20% decline in the number of men and women who choose the armed forces as a career and are ready, able, and willing to protect American security and interest, we are unbelievably vulnerable if that is indeed uh, the case. So how do we address that? I mean, what can we do to make it better for young people to consider the armed forces as of a, um, a viable alternative to going to college or going to work? Because you're kind of doing both when you go to the armed forces. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there.
1: Brian in Florence. Hello, Brian. Hey, guys.
0: Uh, what's happening to our military
12: is absolutely troubling. But there is one saving grace, if you want to call it that. The use of clones and drones and autonomous aircraft, and I hate to say this, but AI has really reshaped how we go to war, more so than just ground troops and trench warfare and tanks. And um, I think that you're going to see the military really rely on the technologies, especially AI, moving forward to help
0: offset some of these shortfalls we're having in recruiting. So how many fewer soldiers can we live with? How many fewer soldiers are we comfortable with? Do we know that number?
12: I don't know that anybody knows that number, including the military, which is who uh, should know that number.
0: But it's not as human intensive as it once was. Is that fair? No, I don't believe
12: so. I think it's more technical intensive, but I don't believe it's more human intensive than than uh, it used to be by any means.
0: So, 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 what you're saying, and I don't just—we've we, kind of automated our way a little bit like a a manufacturing plant. I mean, we don't need as many workers because we got robotics and automation and artificial intelligence. That applies to the military as well.
12: Well, if you take a look at any industry that that has used the automation uh, as a replacement for a worker, their total employment numbers are down considerably.
0: Can we win a war without a ready, willing, and able fighting force? And I'm talking about men and women who are willing to die and put themselves in harm's way. Can can, Can we win wars technologically without boots on the ground
12: well there's only one war way to win an automated war and unfortunately that's nuclear but you can soften your targets and loosen up the, the battlefield so that smaller forces can actually uh seamlessly go through the battle of the
0: area that they used to have to fight on the ground for thank you sir appreciate that that would be an int- we're, we're we're broadcasting in sumter i mean somebody at shaw has a a much higher degree of expertise uh, than I do on that, what, what number is the new number? In other words, if let's say we built widgets, Rev, you and I had a business and we'd been in business 100 years and we'd built widgets, but we needed a 1,000 employees to build the widgets and, and meet our responsibilities. And all of a sudden, automation and robotics and technology come along and Rev and I get together and say, hey, man, I hate this, but for us to be most efficient and profitable, we need to get rid of half our employees and replace them with technology and robotics and, and automation, and Rev says, man, I don't want to get rid of those 500 people. I mean, they've been good to us and their family. Ah, but, I, but but anyway, um, the bottom line prevails, and we make a decision. How many men and women do we need? I mean, if we once needed whatever that number was, what do we need now? Who evaluates that? Who analyzes that? Who makes that determination? I mean, do we know recruitment is down. I mean, there is no doubt about it, and Josh has kind of kind of affirmed my suspicion that people are wondering whether it's worth dying for. I mean, when America's a shining city on a hill, there's great honor in putting your life at risk. Nobody lives forever. Nobody wants to die at 25, but I'll say this. I mean, if God gave me my wish to die at 25 and said, hey, you can fight on behalf of the freest country the world has ever known, or you can die of cancer. I mean, we don't get to make that call, but if I were given the opportunity, I mean, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, you know, send me wherever you got to send me, and I'll die for the greatest experiment man has ever, the great governa- governance experiment man has ever, has ever, what is the new number? I mean, if the old number was to half a million, wh- whatever troops we had, uh, it was it bloated? Was it lean and mean? Wh- what is the new number and why? That may be an interesting uh, mm-hmm. radio show. I mean, that really and truly, and somebody at Shaw knows much more about that than I do. I mean, if, if somebody at Shaw may not know the answer, but they know where some of the data is, and who's putting together that plan moving forward? Because it's obvious we're going to have fewer young men and women. Unless we draft. Unless we go back to a draft, we're going to have fewer younger men and women. And I and I'll say it's easy for me to say now. But but I mean, if given the opportunity to be for or against mandatory service, I'd probably be for it. I mean that's that's hard. I mean that that's that's hard to say, but it's easier. To say when my I mean, if Rev had two kids and they were seventeen and sixteen, you know what, Rev probably said, Nah man, give me three years. I, I may be for it, but let my kids get out of get uh, you know, a little further down the road. I mean that's self preservationist, but but who is not that? Um, but we we may get to a day where we reinstitute or re you know, have a way of people not volunteering but going involuntarily. Let's go to the phone.
1: Barron in Hartsville. Good morning, Barron, you're on.
0: Good
6: morning guys. Ken, I'm gonna offer a counterpoint. I'm going to say that the, when you look at the study of war and where the advantage lies, you think about the 1800s and you think about the advantage lies. you got mass firepower. That's where they line up. You think about World War I and the advantage lies in the defensive. They're able to dig in with the machine gun and the barbed wire, and it takes these massive numbers. You look at World War II and it shifts to the offensive with the tank and the aircraft and close air support, it goes wildly to the offensive by the time we get to Gulf War One and Two, with smart bombs. We're able to blow up things at will. I would argue the opposite of what everyone's saying. I think it's going to need more people because the imperative is shifting back to the defensive. The average soldier can hold capabilities in his hand that can destroy ten times what could they could in World War Two or in the Gulf War right? A drone operator can eliminate an incoming, you know, offensive. They can sit there with a javelin or a stinger or the follow-on and take out tanks and airplanes, things that infantry units could never do. And I think that's the lesson, one of the main lessons that's coming out of Ukraine, right? When you look at wars before the next big war, think about the Spanish-American War, think about the Spanish Civil War before World War II, you get a taste of the next one. And the Ukrainian numbers are They used seven times the ammunition and artillery expenditure they expected, because all of a sudden they had drones to tell them where to shoot it, down to the individual level. They used more missiles, shoulder-mounted and truck-mounted than they ever expected, because um, one guy has the ability to kill a tank or an airplane. And because of that, it's almost pushed back into trench warfare. And so I don't agree that... Technology and automation have the same effect on war that it has on industry. I think when you make the soldier, sailor, marine more lethal by giving them more capability, which is basically individual capability, distributing the down to the individual, and then giving them the ability to use it better, drones, AI, tech, you know, intelligence, uh, automation, I fear it's going to require more, not less.
0: So how do we entice? capable young men and women to join the military?
6: We both know there's only one answer to that in the war. I mean, if you couldn't, look, we couldn't get the recruiting numbers in World War II. Speaking of my personal capacity, we couldn't get the recruiting numbers in World War II to field an army, right, needed to fight the war. Am I saying we need a peacetime draft? No. Am I saying that if we enter a world war, we'll have to have one? I think so.
0: That's interesting. Thank you, Baron. Appreciate that. And Baron knows far more about that th- than I do. I'd love to really get in the weeds on that. I mean, the the, the automation technology part of building a war machine. I mean, w- today in the Republican Party, it's easy to say warmongers. But I mean, war's real. And, and war will eventually knock on our door again. Josh, do you agree with that? I mean, we won't live the rest of our existence in, in peace and harmony.
2: Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. W-
0: war will rear its head. I mean, th- there will be a place that even the most Non-interventionist souls say, yeah, we must. I mean, now's the time to do whatever necessary to make sure we're protecting
2: American interest. It's human nature. It's inevitable. I
0: mean, war's been a part of history since the beginning of time, and it will continue to be a part of history. And I think we've exploited our opportunities. I think we've taken advantage, and I think the military-industrial complex drove a lot of that. But that would be a very interesting conversation or discussion to have with people who know what they're talking about. I don't profess to know. What I'm talking about, kind of interesting. Barron took a different position than what I would normally believe to be true. But my my history is in manufacturing. I mean, I don't know how to build a war machine. I know how to build a truck bed. I know how to take a piece of raw property and build some houses or condos or apartments or or. A condo. I mean, I think I understand that okay. But but I've got no idea what it takes to build a war machine. Um, Baron is saying it takes more. He, he believes we're going to get back to the the soldier, the human component being. Of more consequence than less here's a question you ready is america ready to consider a peacetime draft i mean at what point in time in our um enlistment deficiencies do we consider involuntary involvement in the armed forces take a break back in a few Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Rev wants to point a personal privilege, and he's Robin, so you know. I mean, only with your permission, well, I mean, sir. No, You don't need my permission. You don't need my permission, on, Batman. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I, as long as you acknowledge me as Batman, <laughs> you don't yeah. need my. Yeah. You don't need my permission. <laughs> but it's not just a day that'll live in infamy. December seven is a big day in Rev's life. Well,
1: yeah. It's always easy to remember because it's a day that lives in infamy, but on the 50th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, uh, I got married. So
0: so you, this is the 82nd birthday <laughs> of Pearl Harbor or yep. anniversary of Pearl Harbor. Yep. This and would be your 32nd, 32nd anniversary? That's right. Okay.
1: So uh, I've been married 32 years. Today's my anniversary. And then on our fourth anniversary, our first son was born, our oldest son. So it's his birthday as well. And then you kind of cease to have those anniversary celebrations when it's also
0: your so wish your wife happy anniversary, (laughs) happy wish your kid happy birthday.
1: That's right, happy birthday to Stacy. I'm sorry, happy anniversary to Stacy and happy
0: birthday to Grayson. Good deal, good deal, Um, and congratulations. Thank you on 32 years of marital bliss. Yes, 32 years of not fighting zebras. (laughs) I don't have a... 32 years don't have um, zebras and hiding kids. (laughs) Like Easter eggs.
1: <laughs> That's so great. <laughs>
0: yeah, 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 this is great talking about it. it. Wasn't great while you're living it. Rest assured, is somebody on the phone?
1: Uh, Rujan in Darlington. Hey, Rujan, Good morning.
13: Good morning, guys. Hey, listen, we're going to need more people. We're going to need a lot more people. The war in Israel is not a sign that you, you can you can throw in bombs, you can throw in rockets, you can you know do all this AI and electronic stuff, but. You know, you know, if Volusia didn't tell us anything, and now we're looking at Israel and Ukraine, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a whole different set of you know type of warfare. You know, so yeah, we got to we got to do things something something different. And and I have no problem with a a peacetime draft to get those individuals in there so they can learn some discipline. I mean, you know that that's that's the main thing. You know, get them in there so they can have a. A sense of patriotism and so on, you know. Um, but but right now, what you've got is a bunch of undisciplined kids out there and undisciplined individuals out there that that have no sense of patriotism. They have no idea what it means to have discipline in their lives. So we, we, we got to do something. Got to do something different.
0: Thank you, Richard. Think about this, and I, I shared this with Rev. If we believe we need a rebirth a rejuvenation of patriotism and 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 you know, sweat equity and hard work and and dedication and perseverance, what better way than to force young people? I mean, I understand. I had somebody text me a second ago talking about this entitled generation. Good luck. I'll get the popcorn <laughs> and drink and you have at it. But I mean, imagine, I mean, do we believe that, that patriotism is waning? Do we believe that perseverance is waning? Do we believe that that dignity and, and hard work and sweat equity and all these things are waning. What better way to redeem or rejuvenate than forcing people, I mean, they don't have a choice. I mean, they're, Israel does that, right? I mean, Israel demands or requires all their young men to serve two, I think it's 18 months or two years in some version of, arm, of armed services. Look, n- nobody wants to get shot at. I mean, you know, Rambo's on TV. I mean, that, that's not a real, John J. Rambo is not a real dude. I mean, I would imagine Barron could tell me, hey man, let me tell you about this handful of guys. I mean, there are some guys out there that thrive on and, and, you know, they, um, they excel at situations like that. But, but if we believe that the, the, the American spirit is diminished and needs rejuvenation, what better way? Than to find, let's us say, thirty percent of all young men and fifteen percent of all young women are required to. Maybe uh, maybe requires a little bit of a heavy statement because we're the land of, uh, you know, we're, we're the land of opportunity and we, we like to be able to make our decisions and choices and whatnot. Um, I told Rev I'd be willing. I mean, if, if 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 um if mandatory enlisting or strongly encouraging enlistment was a part of the um a game, I would I would be for. I would rather military dollars being spent on training young men and women to be members of the armed services and that would necessarily breed patriotism and dedication. And I'd rather that money go there than Raytheon. I'm afraid it could generate resentment. You think it would generate resentment? It could. I'm sure it would. I mean, there's no question. But, But would in the long run we overcome that tide of resentment? There's no doubt you're going to Families. I mean, not just the young kids. The families are going to resent. Well, what do you mean? My kid has no choice. What, 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 what do you mean? I mean, we, we've lost trust in the Pentagon. We've lost trust in the political body. We, we, you know, so it's going to be hard today for political leadership or military leadership to say, "Hey, here's what we think we should do." We can't meet our quotas. We don't have enough men and women that want to join the armed services. So we're going to require that. To happen. I mean, if we had faith in government, if we had faith in our military leadership, I think it would be easier to sell to the American public. But, but not only do you have the parental notion of not wanting your kid, not wanting to send your kid to be trained to potentially figure out a way to stay alive, right? I mean, it, but, but, but we've agreed, Josh, that war is inevitable. I mean, you and I and Rev. I mean, I, I don't think Rev's as much as I mean. We're all somewhat non-interventionist. I mean, I think the America First movement has convinced us that, I don't know, man, my party led us probably, we, we were a little bit zealous mm-hmm. in some of our involvement I, I, and incursions. I've a,
1: you know conversion yeah. in a way. Well,
0: I mean, I think I have. I mean, I trusted the Pentagon. I trusted the military leadership to shoot me straight. I don't anymore. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't give a damn how many bars you got on your shirt and how many stripes you've got on your sleeve. I don't trust you. I mean, you, you've earned that. You've, you've earned my lack of trust. Now, earn it back. But what I'm saying is if we've got a generation of young people and we question how committed they are to the country, what better way to almost Josh force commitment into their lives than, um, you know, hey, here's the deal. Sign this paper. Here's what you get. Here's where you go. And here's what you do. And if you don't want to do it after two years, we'll find another 20-year-old or 19-year-old to do that. I mean, it's, I'm arguing the hypothetical, but right. there are a lot of variables. And I'm not saying, hey, I got it all figured out because of course I don't <laughs> have it figured out. But but would reinstitution of a draft lead to, there's no question, Josh, on the front end, there's going to be enormous resentment and anger and no way in the world am I allowing my kid to be a part of this craziness that you guys want to have. But in the long run, could the resentment subside and patriotism and dedication and work ethic and caring for the common good, could we reinstitute some of those values that we believe are diminishing in young people. It's not just young people. I mean, we're talking about young people as if they're so different than, than we are. I mean, I, I would argue that the 60-year-old is as entitled as the 23-year-old or acting as entitled as the 23-year-old, and we kind of created the mess that they're going to have to clean up to the, best, to the best of their abilities. I don't know the answer to that, but um, I think it's a, it's a proposition worth considering.
1: Well, if we and, identified well, you know, one of the issues is kind of a lack of patriotism, that's the problem you're trying to solve, right? Well, I
0: mean, Part patriotism, dedication, caring for your country, putting your country first. What did JFK say? It's not what you know, a country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He was a damn Democrat. <laughs> I, mean, the bad, I mean, a Democrat said it's not what your country can like do today's for you, Democrats. but rather what you can do for your country. Neither party believes that today. <laughs> much less the one that professes to be somewhat um, right of center. It's been a joy uh, to do this today. Tomorrow, I won't be here in the studio. Rev won't be. Uh, he'll be my sidekick, but we'll be down in in Myrtle Beach hosting or being a part of hosting
1: the Fitzrack, yeah. First in the South Republican Action Conference.
0: Yeah, I get it mixed up with Brick Bats, but I don't <laughs> think it's Brick Bats. It's, 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 it's <laughs> Fitzrack.
1: Enjoy your day. We'll talk tomorrow.